Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 107 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and the 411mania.com website, as well as any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media. Call your mom, tell her about us. I'm sure she'd love a couple of lads like us. And if you have a good, you know, if you have a chance, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. And for as much as I'd like to tell you that myself and my co-host are essential workers, uh, we are not. We have a lot of serious stuff to talk about tonight, but I do want to quickly thank everybody who has been supporting the show. We have been doing a lot of great numbers the past couple of months. You guys are fantastic. And never fear, um, we may not be totally classified as essential workers, but we have a ton of stuff coming up for you. So that leads me to my co-host, as uh, always, since it's Thursday, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you, my friend? You know, I, I hate to correct you right off the bat, Larry. You know how I hate to correct people around here, but uh, I, actually one of my jobs is essential. So I actually am an es- essential worker. So, I mean, well, just excuse to, I, I hate the, the fuck out of yeah. me, Steve. Technically, I one of mine is a, is an essential job, too, because I'm a father asshole. So there you go. I hate to piss all over your opening there, but, you know, I do have an essential job, and I do have to leave the house every once in a while. So, I, you know, I'm just – I'm spitting facts here, brother. I'm shooting tonight, Larry. We're shooting. We're well, shooting. We, we are going to be. Cause Shoot week might be coming, sir. I think it's pretty much here, Deeks. We have some shit to talk about. This um, Wednesday was one of those days, Steve, and it was, oh, I don't know how to put it, but it was one of those days we haven't seen in a long time. Tons of WWE releases and stuff. Everything related in some form to the ongoing corona pandemic. And we got to start back, though, to kind of put everything into perspective. First of all, Vince McMahon has to shutter the XFL. Not only does he shutter the XFL, but despite the fact that he's cash rich and the XFL still had money on hand, they declared bankruptcy to get out of paying all the debts, screwing over all the stadiums. Mainly. Also, a lot of the coaches. Well, we're off to a good start already. So, in terms of the business world and Wall Street, Vince reportedly took a hit reputation-wise due to us because of his financial status and kind of copping out of everything. You it, know what? Go ahead. It, 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 it stuns and amazes me to this day that Vince McMahon has a reputation on Wall Street. This is fair. <laughs> That's all I had going now, the funny thing about this is, is we all know that if you're a promoter and your lips are moving, you're a liar. And despite the fact that we all knew better, how many times did Vince tell us that WWE had no part of the XFL, Steve? About uh, 482 by my count. Okay. Well, do you realize it was revealed in the bankruptcy papers that the XFL had approximately 23% ownership in the XFL? The World Wrestling Entertainment, which Vince said had no stake in the XFL. The hell you say? Yes. So, uh, yeah, promoter, Vince is lying. And then you got the whole thing to where, out of coincidence, you know, roughly the same day, Linda McMahon and her pals are making a big $18.5 million donation to uh, Florida. And WWE, along with allegedly MMA and boxing, are uh, equipped to ride out um, 
This is essential businesses, so WWE is safe as an essential business and can continue to run in Florida, Steve. Well, you know, I I I have to admit that I am shocked and amazed and somewhat impressed that uh, Vince was able to pull this off. Although I do wonder, it might have taken him a little long to figure it out because we all know that how do rich people solve problems by throwing money at things? And what's the best way to get a politician on your side? Throw money at him. And, you know, the governor down in Florida, he is a piece of work. He is one of those guys who doesn't really think the coronavirus is a big deal. He, you know, he, he wants to open things up already, let's be honest. So pretty easy to throw some money his way. And, uh, you know, he'll let you do whatever the hell you want. Let's be honest. Yeah. So the thing is. WWE held a call with talent today stating that there were going to be some cuts. And I'm talking Wednesday now because you're probably listening to this Thursday because of the time and everything. The call lasted under five minutes. About the same time as the XFL called. And then like an hour later, that shit was shut down and people's emails were being closed. Yeah. Telling everybody that possible cuts were coming. And then guess what, Steve? The cuts started coming. So possible cuts start coming is what you're saying. And they were they weren't too big or nothing, right? No. Oh no 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 no, Steve. We just got a giant list here to talk about. We're expecting a, we're expecting cuts, not amputations. So first of all, Steve, <laughs> and before I get your thoughts on him, we're gonna kinda of go one by one. The first off cut, we got Rusev finally gone from the World Wrestling Federation here. A man who was tricked into thinking his storyline with Lana and Lashley was going to take him to stardom. (laughs) And a man who also voluntarily gave $20,000 of his own money to pay out-of-work WWE production workers because they weren't getting paid. Yeah. This gentleman, Miroslav Barnyshev, has been axed, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... You know, and Rusev is a stand-up guy. Like you, like you point out the thing where he's he's helping pay those production workers and whatnot. And I mean, you know, we kind of questioned uh, certain things from time to time. Like, how could anybody possibly think that Angle is going to lead him anywhere good? I still don't know what, what kind of bill of goods he got sold on that. The one thing I will say that uh, you know, Rusev has apparently not been happy in WWE for a very long time. I mean, he's been so he's been making noise for as far back as I can remember. Uh, he doesn't seem like a man who's uh, tied down to the company. He seems like a guy who wouldn't mind trying things out on his own. And surely he wishes he tried things out on his own under better circumstances. But and that's one thing that kind of annoys me about the company in general. Up until this point, of course, until we hit these hard economic times. They just would not release people. If people asked to be released, they would just not do it. They had to have everybody. Had to keep them all under contract because they were afraid of... I don't know what they are afraid of. They are afraid of something. But, you know, Rusev had asked for his release before. They wouldn't give it to him. But now it's like, oh, okay, well, now, now it's fine because we need to cut some costs and there's nothing going on. So, okay, Rusev, there you go. See you later. If they had cut Rusev like six months ago, nobody would have made a people. It would have been fine. We have all been cool. All right, you're getting Rusev a way out. Good job. Good for you. See, that's how they shoot themselves in the foot. Just let these people out when they want out, and you wouldn't have this kind of you wouldn't have these kind of problems. Is kind of my whole take on the deal. I'm glad he's free. 
but obviously he can't do anything. Um, the thing is that a guy like Rusev, first of all, he should have been a much bigger star for them. He was over big time with them. And then they just pissed it all away at various points with horrible booking. Yep. And the thing is, I look at Rusev. Rusev is a dude that I think could be an asset for any company that wanted to use him. AEW could use him. Impact could use him. ROH could use him. He'd fucking thrive in Japan. I mean, pretty much the only place I don't think he'd thrive just because of stylistic differences. Like, I couldn't see him, like, work in Mexico. But other than that, (laughs) I mean, I think Rusev is a dude you can plug into any company. You don't and, think he'd be good as one of Conan's foreign heels? He always has a foreign legion type group. I think he'd work with Conan. I think that'd be fine. Sure, but I mean, come yeah. on. But yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. He's just a guy though that I generally think could work anywhere. Like, I'd love to see that motherfucker get like a G1 run. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, stuff like that. Champions Carnival in All Japan, whatever. Just sure. let him go over there and tear some shit up. And again... Um, this isn't like, I, I hope AEW signs everybody. I hope New Japan signs anybody. I think he could work with anybody. I think AEW would find a great place for him. I think R- ROH, he'd be a fucking star instantly, obviously. Sure. Same with Impact. I mean, he's a guy, I mean, if he wants to, he could work anywhere. I think he'd thrive anywhere. And I don't fear for him. It's, it's just going to be one of those things is... Does he want to be a guy like Cody and go out there and prove people wrong? Or does he want to be fucking Ryback and host more podcasts and work wrestling matches? Maybe just wants to hang out at his house in Nashville in his hut with his hot wife. That might be a case. And you know what? I mean, she's reportedly banking half a million a year until she gets cut. <laughs> so, I mean, good for him if that's what he wants to do. I mean, if I was married to Lana and had all that money, I'd stay home too. Are they putting off that cut for a day just to maintain Cape that they're not married anymore? Who knows? Dude. You know, that's the kind of shit I could see happening, to be honest with you. Steve, who the hell knows with this company? Right, right. Um, but ne- God bless Rusev. You're a good man. That's right. Next up, Drake Maverick. Gone. Mm. Mm. Wait a minute. I'm a little confused, Larry, about this one. The reason I'm confused is because isn't he in this big NXT cruiser interim Cruiserweight Championship Tournament Dealy Carnival slash climaxing they have going on. He announced on Twitter that WWE was going to let him finish out those dates and then he was done. Oh boy. They're going to let him finish out those dates. Well, I think he wanted to, honestly, but. God. Because <laughs> it's not like he's been on TV much anymore, but. Uh, I mean, God bless him. I mean, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's excited about it, but. Uh, from the outside looking in, you know, you could see where people, I guess, would like, oh, good, they're going to let you wrestle a couple more times and go out and try to get the virus for you, can you? Oh, boy. Good job. <laughs> right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure that he is one of those guys who wants to really impress people this last couple of matches, and I'm sure he'll do the best he can. But, uh, I mean, Drake is one of those guys. He's, he's an entertainer. Pretty much. I mean, you know, his wrestling kind of is what it is, but he's always been kind of known, been known more for the entertainment aspect of the business. And he's a guy who, you don't think Impact would take the guy back tomorrow? They would. Absolutely. I mean, they probably would. And I like, I like Drake a lot. He was, when they were using him regularly as the 205 Live GM, he was actually really good in that role. And again, like you said, he is a great entertainer. He's done, you know, you look at the Rockstar Spud stuff he did. 
he's been really good. He's a guy that in the right circumstance would be an asset. He's a very entertaining person and I like him a lot. I just, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that unfortunately to them was expendable because he was one of the 24 seven geeks. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Yeah. And he, he would do anything for that company. Let's be honest. I mean, the guy, the guy went on TV and pissed his pants. Okay. Yeah, he how, did fucking everything. How are you gonna do a guy dirty after he pissed himself on TV for it? it is yeah, I mean, the, the God bless him. He's uh, he's obviously very loyal. He's uh, willing to do just about anything. But you know, uh, <sighs> I don't know, Steve. It's a uh, so rough. next up, uh, we got a tag team gone: Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Mm. Guys who had been, well, especially Zack Ryder, been around forever. 14 years straight with the company. That's pretty impressive. And uh, we all know Zack Ryder's story. He he kind of made the mistake of getting over using the internet. You know, back in days when Dodie didn't know about this whole social media and this YouTube and all these things, Ryder kind of made that mistake of using these uh, certain tools to get himself over at a point where they had no plans for him and they didn't really think they needed to be over. And boy, did he pay a price for that in the years afterwards. But He he really did. He really paid a price. But at the same time, he got enough money to buy a ton of action figures. That's right. So, I I mean, I think he was happy. I think he was okay with the whole situation. He got to buy a lot of action figures. And uh, we should also mention that that the man was with uh, Emma and with Chelsea Green. So, you know, I mean... The guy hasn't been doing too bad for himself. This is true. I mean, he, he's lived a good life. And he's he's had some moments. He had the big WrestleMania moment, which, of course, they ruined the next fucking night. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he had moments in that company. And he's a guy that, you know, we've talked about Zack Ryder for years, Steve. He's a guy that they could have, would have, and should have done a whole lot more with. Again, we're not advocating the Zack Ryder fucking world title run. But we're saying that this is a guy that should have been a popular mid-card babyface player regularly, and he just, he was completely fucking wasted. And you terms, could just feed him the heels you wanted to get over and have been fine. Yeah. You know, and then Kurt Hawkins. Kurt Hawkins was a reliable dude. He's a good tag worker and everything. And he was, again, he was, like you said about other people, he was a guy that would do anything for that company. He was brought back when they did the brand split because they wanted bodies and people that had something of a name people might remember. And, you know, he he got a mania moment with the world title win with Zach and everything, and then they were back to where they started. Back to where they started. Um, The good news for Zach Ryder is that Cody posted a a GIF image of Zach Ryder on Twitter. So... And I'm pretty sure Cody and Zach are pretty tight. So I'm... More than sure that Zachary will get a gig with that company. Well, they are close friends. Cody posted a big Instagram post about um, Zach's WrestleMania win in the IC title match and how proud he was of his friend who gave 14 years to that company and should have got much more. And they are close friends because there were videos that they posted of uh, Chelsea and Zach Ryder and Cody and Brandy going to on uh, Disney World trips together. Well, there you go. So, I mean... And AEW is not going to be hiring everybody, obviously. No. But I think I'm sure that Cody will make some room for Zack Ryder. They will find a spot for him. 
And no again, doubt, no doubt about that. Zach is a good, reliable dude. He's a good single. He's a good tag guy. He would fit in, again, in a lot of places. He'll be popular with that audience, too, because, you know, AW has a heavy internet audience, and that's those are the kind of people that were all about the Z two Long Island story back in the day. That's right, Steve. Another tag team gone are the good brothers Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, who just resigned new contracts this year. <laughs> They just re-signed new contracts. They were just part of the Boneyard match with uh, AJ Styles. And I suppose we can just assume that The Undertaker killed them. Yep, two more victims from The Undertaker, Steve. That's all I can assume. But, uh, yeah, I, I did we ever think that Anderson Gallows would be a good fit there, honestly? No, and they, they really weren't because, no offense, I love the Good Brothers. They're very nice dudes. They're entertaining, yeah. but they're not—they're yeah. not a great in-ring tag team. The WWE style never fit them great, and even when they were working hard, it wasn't like they were given good attention to. You know? No. No, and uh, you know, and Carl Anderson, of course, a big, uh, big local guy here in the Cincinnati area, kind of the shining star for this certain uh, generation of like Cincinnati independent talent, the guy who I saw wrestle in a flea market by God. And he rose up to, you know, he created the freaking bullet club, man. Jesus Christ. How much money is that gimmick made? And, you know, he's been everywhere and done everything. So he's had a very successful career. And of course, Gallows has done things here and there. And they're, they're a pretty solid tag team. And you know, they'll pop up somewhere. I mean, if nothing else, they can go back to Japan. They can always go back to Japan. I wouldn't be shocked to see at least a short-term return to New Japan because you could always do, because they were essentially, like, officially, unofficially ousted from Bullet Club when AJ left and everything. And you could do some stuff with them. Like, not that it'd be great matches, but you could do some good angles probably with them and the Girls of Destiny and the rest of Bullet Club. Sure. Another thing to consider is Carl Anderson was one of the new Japan U S liaisons for a long time when he was working with that company. Right. And with tiger Hattori gone, that might be a role he could end up sliding back into. Yeah. He's got a lot of connections over there. So I would not be surprised at all. Once, once everything gets kind of sort of back to normal when new Japan is making moves again, that Carl Anderson be a kind of guy they would rely on to uh, do certain things over here. And I'll tell you what, if things settle down by the fall, Tag League rolls around, the Good Brothers are a good addition to the Tag League. That's an easy slot right yeah. there, yeah. That's a bit that you can do a little video thing with them saying they're coming back. It'd be pretty good. So, um, again, would be be interesting to see what they've done. Uh, Impact had interest in them in the past. Sure. Um, they, they couldn't hurt to bring in an established tag team there. Uh, they've worked Ring of Honor in the past, and they're friends with Marty. Wouldn't rule that out either. Uh, AEW, again, always a possibility. Again, they're a team that I think in maybe not full-time, but in short bursts could work in a lot of places and help out. Sure. Yeah. Uh, although I will say that one thing of AEW is they have a lot of tag teams already. Exactly, which is, again, why I wouldn't push for AEW. Yeah, that, they might get lost in the shuffle there pretty quick. So. I mean, maybe give them a couple weeks and do an angle with them or something, but uh, yeah. I wouldn't see it in there long-term. No. So, again, I, I think that they have a lot of uh, things to look at. Kurt Angle's gone, Steve. Yeah, Kurt Angle was still there, apparently. 
<laughs> which was news to me kind of sort of but not really i mean you know he obviously has retirement match back at the uh last wrestlemania of fans and i guess he's working as a producer after that helping uh, yep. produce some matches is what i'm told that's what happened there and Apparently there were a lot of producers like that, Larry. Oh, we're gonna talk about that. Don't worry. Yeah, there's be a lot, a lot of producers out, but uh, it is somewhat surprising that you would let Kurt Angle go because you know Kurt Angle is one of those names that people recognize. Like when you hear that name, you're like, oh yeah, Kurt Angle, that guy, you know, former wrestler and all that. Yeah. So. Well, he's also a guy that was still doing a ton of media for them. Sure. Yeah, because he, he's one of those guys people go to because he's a he's a well-spoken guy. He can. You can give a good good interview, give good promo, give you whatever you need, you know. So, a little surprising on that, on that front. I think was he probably one. That, was he uh, was he let go or furloughed? He was I on mean, the WWE.com page with all the releases. So I'm guessing okay. full release. So full release. Okay. I mean, I mean that's a, a little surprising, but I mean at the same time, I guess if you're if you're the bean counters. And you're looking at this stuff, you're like, okay, we got this guy. We're probably paying him a lot of money. He doesn't wrestle. And I hate to be one of his bean counters and kind of point that out, but that's probably what they thought. Probably. And it's not a horrible move, honestly. Again, I'm slightly surprised just because of all the media he was doing for them. But it's a cut that didn't shock me. Uh, next up, former wrestler turned announcer, uh, Aiden English. He was actually really good uh, doing commentary. He was good when I heard him, absolutely. Um, and a pretty good talker, you know, for most of his run when he's with, uh, when he's doing the XT thing, when he was uh, doing the Rusev Day thing. Always a well-spoken individual, so it didn't surprise me. He did well with commentary, but unfortunately, when you're a 205 live commentator, you're probably one of those guys that's probably the first to cut. He did some NXT UK stuff too, which I don't think is much different than being 205 live commentator. Not really. And yeah, again, he's a, that's a low on the totem pole release because they have a lot of announcers under contract. And for as much uh, as Aiden, you know, he did a really good job, but he wasn't going to be wrestling. So, I mean, he was gone. Well, you know what though? I mean, there you indie promoters out there. You want to get that Aiden English Rusev tag team. There you go. There you Bam. Go. Like it. Heath Slater gone. Uh, we know what's going to happen with Heath Slater, right? He is going to go and get fucking jacked up and come back and win the world title. Goddamn right he is. <laughs> That's what happens. Uh, uh, Ginger Mahal did that. Drew McIntyre did that. And now Heath Slater's going to do that. So... Come back to us in five years. Heath Slater will be a WWE champion. God bless him. That's right. Jack to the gills supporting his kids. That's what's going to happen. Which, you know, you got to feel bad for the guy getting fired, though, because he does have how many kids? Uh, 17, I think. 17 kids out there in West Virginia. West Virginia is not even one of the hardest places hit by the COVID, so I don't know. Yeah. He Heath was a good guy, really entertaining, good worker when he was asked to, and Unfortunately, though, he was a low on the totem pole, twenty four seven geek. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, I would never push for Heath Slater to be anything more than an entertaining mid carder. You need those guys. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, I can kind of see why you, at this point he's been there. Oh God, he's there what fifteen years or so? A long time. God, it feels like it, but yeah, a long time. He was there for a while, so Speaking- had a good run. Speaking of good and reliable guys who were low on the totem pole, unfortunately, 
Eric Young. And Steve, I don't know about you, I'm completely shocked that Jeff Jarrett never took a laptop into Vince McMahon's office, fired up Impact Plus, <laughs> and showed Vince all that comedy shit he did in TNA. Because you would have to imagine that that would be right up Vince's fucking alley. Well, that just shows you how much stroke Jeff Jarrett actually has in that company. None. Jarrett still, Jared still has a gig there, right? What, yeah. what is Jarrett doing there now? He's an agent producer. Oh, okay. He's one of the few left. So, <laughs> But obviously he doesn't have that much stroke because he would have pushed for his buddy Eric Young. I know that he and... Yeah, I know Jared and Young were very tight back in the day. And, uh, yeah, Eric Young had a nice little NXT run with the Sandy gimmick. and They were fucking crushed the moment they were brought to the main roster. The moment they got to the main roster, they were fucking destroyed. Ugh. Never had a Bad chance. Bad times. They never had a chance. They never had a chance in the world. Killian Dane was just lucky to get back to NXT. That's all I can say about the whole yeah. situation. But uh, Eric Young, I mean... What can we say about his uh, whole WWE run? We can't say a lot about it because there just wasn't a whole lot to say. Unfortunately, not. Very disappointed by that person because I've always been a big Eric Young fan. He is one of those guys who would he would give you an arm and a leg if he could. He really would. I mean, TNA could tell you. I mean, t- he put his ass on the line for TNA every night. That guy. Hard fucking worker. Another Impact alum that's uh, gone. He's been out of action for a while, suffering from post-concussion issues. Ethan Carter the third, Steve, EC3. EC3, Derek Bateman, call him what you will. Talented guy. And uh, you know what? If I'm Impact Wrestling, I just bring back EC3 and Rockstar Spud and act like nothing ever happened. Not the worst idea, dude. Act I like mean, they were just always there, you know? Just bring him back, put him in their old roles. It'd be fine. <laughs> th- that poor bastard was pretty much instantly buried on the main roster. He had no chance. They didn't no do shit with him. And again, chance. you would think that that's a guy Vince would love. He's all jacked up, working a Hogan 93-rate tan. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, he could talk. And again, yep. yeah, EC3, I'm, let's not like you know get lost in it. He was far from a great fucking worker in the ring. Yeah. But he had a great look. He could talk, and he wasn't horrible. But he just got fucking buried, like, right fucking away, man. Right away. Some of his call-ups they had around that time, they just, uh, they just buried them right the, right from the start. And, uh, I mean, the guy can work. I've seen him have some good indie matches, and he's done. he did some good stuff in TNA back in the day. The guy can get it done, and he'll pop up again somewhere, hopefully. I don't know how bad these. I don't know how. Did he come back from the post-concussion issues yet? Is that still... Kinda... I know. He was still out. Okay. So, I mean, I yeah, mean so he's obviously going to have a lot of time to recover. <laughs> no doubt about that. But uh, I would not mind seeing EC3 and Rockstar Spud back on Impact Wrestling. I've heard that and the other... I'd rather see that than the fucking shit they were doing with Sammy Callahan and Ken Shamrock. I'll tell you that much. This is true. Um, I've heard a lot of people hoping that he and Spud reunite in Impact... I would be down for that. The other thing I heard, which is slightly intriguing to me, is bringing him in to AEW. Again, we AEW can't hire any everybody, but this yeah. one was intriguing to me. Bringing him in as an ally to a fellow douchebag MJF. Hmm. Okay. I could possibly see that. So, could his last name be uh, Turner? Sure. 
Yeah, so we can continue the connection to, uh, you know, like, you know, like he's Dixie Carter's nephew. He could be like Ted Turner's uh, long lost uh, second cousin or something. I don't there know. You go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think if I'm choosing though, I'd honestly like to see him and Spud back in Impact. Yeah, that worked pretty well. Uh, former Cruiserweight Champion Leo Rush gone. <laughs> uh, apparently, Leo Rush has some other things going on. Is, is kind of the impression I got. So I, I think he's looking to the music side of things, trying to kind of branch out a little bit. And he had a, you know, he had his difficulties here and there, and he came back and was doing all right and i hope he's still doing all right is all i can say shockingly steve these two gentlemen were still employed nobody will believe me but epico and primo finally gone <laughs> i figured they're employed due to, to, to the connection carlos cologne is what i figured there. that video library still never made it on the network no of course yeah god God forbid we get some WWC. I mean, I would like to see some of that stuff. That'd been interesting, but uh, you know what? Though, kind of a connected uh, side issue, if you will. Um, I guess this Tuesday's Impact uh, Wrestling episode featured uh, was it Michael Elgin and Eddie Edwards wrestling in the Quatarian? Qatar Pro Wrestling. Qatar Pro Wrestling is where they were wrestling. By the way, do you know who the latter champion of Qatar Pro Wrestling is? I don't know who the ladder champion is. ROH is Caprice Coleman. Currently holds the ladder championship of Qatar Pro Wrestling. He was working ladder matches over there. All right. He's a two-time Qatar ladder champion. I can tell you that uh, apparently I was told that the tag team champions of Qatar Pro Wrestling are, in fact, Chris Masters and Carlito. There you go. So there's a family connection right there. So there you go. Primo and Epico can go get booked in Qatarian pro wrestling. There you go. Uh, God bless them. I mean, I don't know how much they're going to work in the U.S. Wouldn't mind an impact <laughs> no. run because... Um, they're not going to do anything. No, hey, if they get paid, <laughs> they will. Well, yeah. No, I wouldn't mind it like a short run in impact because they could use a fresh tag team. Wouldn't mind... like I wouldn't mind them kind of... Kind of just working around the horn. Do it. Do a little bit of impact. Maybe a little ROH, a little NWA. Freshen up the tag scene. Here and there, like come in as occasional guests. I wouldn't mind that at all because they are a fine little tag team when given the chance. Unfortunately, in WWE, they were never really which given isn't a chance. very often, yeah. <laughs> mind you. Not very often. I could see Carlito or Primo and Epigo pop up for next Chikara King of Trios. There you go. There we go. All clones, bring them all together. Book it, Quackenbush. Oh, hold on. He's not the booker. Oh, kayfabe. Kayfabe. My bad. So, Steve, a, a good close friend of yours, Eric Rowan, released. Eric Rowan had himself an interesting year, didn't he? he yeah. Uh, came, he uh, had this big box he carried around with him for many weeks. Well, hang on. We got Tarantino back. He tried to kill Roman Reigns. He tried. Yeah, that he, that, that, that happened. That was he, the thing. Fe- he feuded with Daniel Bryan. Yeah. He reunited for a couple weeks with Luke Harper. Whatever yeah. happened to that guy? And then um, he had a box with a spider in it, and uh, Drew McIntyre killed the Sandigarian <laughs> Snare Beast. And then he became a dude getting knocked out by Aleister Black, and he's gone. I think you had to know. I think Eric Rowan had to know that it was coming once he had the stupid box gimmick. And once the stupid box gimmick was destroyed by Drew McIntyre one night, I think Rowan saw a ring on the wall. You I know, think. The, I, mean, usually I mean, say- I know... 
They usually say, Steve, everything coming out of a box is over, but uh, that spider wasn't over. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's one of those Jim Cornette things that you know nobody really buys into. I mean, remember when Chainsaw Charlie came out of the box and everybody chanted, Terry, Terry, Terry? Well, he was over because they knew it was Terry Funk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Which, speaking of, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do another cut in right now since we mentioned Terry Funk, and you know we're talking, you know, we got this empty arena match we got to talk about later with John Moxley and Jake Hager, and I wasn't really really feeling it, and I my suggestion was, if one of them had imitated Terry Funk for the match, that would have been good. Should have been Moxley. He had the history with the eye injury. My eye. I'm still pissed that none of the people on Raw have yelled, Damn you, Lawler! <laughs> you know? well, it seems easy, right? I think Tozawa did after he called his uh, apron sent on a fucking Raymond Noodle moonsault. Yeah, he might have been Japanese. We might have missed that. <laughs> fucking oh, boy, Christ. But, uh, but Terry Funk, you got among men. I don't even know. Yeah, Rowan. What? <laughs> Rowan's a big deal. You know what? Are we going to see Rowan in the Dark Order? Is that, is that what's going to happen here? I I mean, I don't know, man. Um, I know him and Luke Harper ended up becoming really good friends. Uh, he was very complimentary yeah. of him on his uh, appearance on the Jericho podcast. Sure. And one thing people keep saying is AEW needs bigger guys. I mean. He is. A, yeah. And he definitely fits that role. So I could, I could see it. I mean, I could see it happening. I'm not saying. I wouldn't even say Rowan was. Well, he is bad for a while. But you know, recently he was okay, right? He was having good some good matches. He had That's some fine. good stuff with Aleister Black. He did good with Daniel yeah. Bryan. He actually did some good stuff with Roman. Yeah, he's he's well. Fun. Doing good with Daniel Bryan is nothing to hang your hat on. <laughs> I could do good stuff. with Listen, Daniel Bryan. dude, I've seen people have bad <laughs> matches with Daniel Bryan still. Okay, so how they Ow. suck. Well, I mean, I can have good matches with Daniel Bryan. I'm telling you, well, put you me in the ring do. right now. Put me in the ring right now, Bryan. I'd have a good match. I'm telling you. I'd probably have a good match. I have one leg, Steve. Fuck exactly. Me. You know, <laughs> Steve, it's finally over. The million dollar couple, Mike and Maria Canellis are gone, <laughs> man. Oh God. They milked that company for all it's worth. And they God bless them. I don't even blame for it. I mean, Mike went to rehab and Maria had a couple kids and you know, they did all, did all in company dime. God bless them. I, I, I have no problem with these people at all. I'm just kind of surprised WWE finally caught on to it. <laughs> so, one thing, Bria, am, I, am I wrong? No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Um, one exactly thing. One thing I would be slightly interested in is a uh, Mike and Maria return, not to Impact, but to Ring of Honor. Because mm. they've done this angle where uh, Vinny Marseglia had broke up the kingdom. And because yeah. um, uh, TK Orion's basically retired, he had severe post concussion syndrome. Um, yeah. Which is very unfortunate, obviously. But yeah, he yeah. turned on Matt Taven, and then uh, he started a uh, wacky stable. And uh, they did a gimmick with uh, Taven apparently needed ankle surgery. So they did the gimmick where they put a block between his legs and did the misery thing with him and quote-unquote broke his ankle. Mm. And uh, Taven had teased rebuilding his kingdom. Okay, yeah. So, so what if um, by the time all this shakes out and shows are running and Matt Taven's healthy and his ankle's good... He yeah. comes back to face Vinny in his geek stable, and he brings back the big dog of the kingdom, Mike Mike Bennett. 
Sure. I mean, Mike and Maria back with uh, Matt Taven. And the pair, I'm told that is a pretty overact in Japan as well. And may, may that had a lot to do with the cameraman zooming in on Maria's ass The cameraman you know. loved Maria. They, I mean, who, can, who could blame him at that, at that time? Good, my goodness. One of my That's favorite gifts ever from New Japan is Maria dancing on the apron, distracting Carl Anderson. Carl Anderson was always uh, a weak. He always had a weak. And, and he starts dancing, and AJ gets all pissed at him. And yeah. he, he starts yelling at him, and Carl turns his head and makes him stare at Maria's ass. <laughs> and then AJ starts dancing. Of course, yeah. Because yeah. he, he can't help it either. So, yeah. yes, uh, not the best wrestling, obviously, but it was funny at times. And um, It's funny. Yeah, we, need, we, we need more funny these days, for sure. Yeah. But I wouldn't be opposed to see, like, uh, again, a lot of these runs for people don't have to be long-term runs. Like, he could do a run in Ring of Honor. He could maybe do some Impact or NWA. Yeah. You know, Mike's a good talker. You don't. I can see it being an NWA pretty well, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But I, I wouldn't rule out the ROH thing to kind of reunite with Taven. Yeah, that'd, uh, that'd be fine. No problem there. Next up, there's a Viking Raider who's not happy because Sarah Logan got her walking papers. Oh, yikes. Yeah, that's a, you want to piss those guys off? I don't know. Mm. Tough situation. How, how, how is your opinion, uh, how do you feel about Sarah Logan's work in general? I like Sarah Logan overall. The problem with her is always been the presentation and booking. They mm. always want to lean into she's a wacky Viking fighter chick. And yeah. then they don't even lean into it properly. And then the other thing is, as a pure worker, she's much more of an offensive worker. And 98% of her shit was defensive enhancement shit. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, she was facing people that were right over her. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, I've—I mean, I probably—I've uh, seen a lot of people speak well of Sarah Logan. And I, I'm not trying diss or anything. I just—I'm not quite sure I see her on the same levels as some of my fellow otters do. For for example, I but like they, Sarah. I don't think she's great, but I mean, Jesus Christ. I would rather watch a Sarah Logan match than another fucking Natalia match these days. Let me tell you that. Well, yeah, okay, that's that's a fair point. And I will say that, you know, she would be a fine fit in a if AEW needs AEW can always use some enhancements to the uh, women's division. Put her there. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, the conga line is dead, Steve. No way, Jose gone. God. He's a dude God. I thought would be there for a while is the lovable, wacky opening card guy. Just because you need those guys. You do. And, uh, I mean, unfortunately, he's expendable. And after he made sure to fly to Raw. And, uh, and that's why that, that's why this pisses me off, honestly. <laughs> because, you know, I, you know, Noah Jose, I never, I seen him here and there, and he never really impressed me one way or, one way or another. But, uh, you know, he was there, fine, good for him. But the fact that this motherfucker flew the Raw from wherever he is from, I don't know where he's living these days, but uh, he flew there. He took the picture on the empty tram. He flew out and drove there and wrestled for a minute with Bobby Lashley and got squashed. And then, I don't know, it may stay at somebody's house. I don't know what he did there, but the fact that he flew out there and he he did everything they asked him to do, and they just let him go. 
That's just some bullshit. I'm sorry. That is bullshit. It is. But again, unfortunately, like some of the other guys we talked about, he was relegated largely to 24-7 geekdom. And uh, so the prospects of him hanging around during these cuts was not good, and he, he got the axe. Yeah. Which is why if I was no way of Jose for the... Honestly, what he should have done when they asked him to fly out there the job to Bobby Lashley or wherever the fuck... He should just told him, no way, Jose. Yep. That's what he should have done. Off. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's why I would say, you know, honestly, I that's why I would tell him to, like, yeah. That'd be like Roman Reigns. Fuck off. I'm I'm not coming out there. You want to fire? I mean, and I'm sure no way, Jose, was not making, <laughs> not, he didn't have one of the best salaries in the company, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't think he was making 500 lards like uh, the Canalises. No. no, absolutely not. So, I mean, it's. Yeah, so I just yeah, ah, that's that that I can't defend that. Even if I'm not, you know, the biggest No Way Jose fan out there, that that that's just some bullshit. Yep, feels pretty dirty, Steve. Uh, next yeah. up, Diana Perazzo gone from NXT, and apparently, judging by her Twitter, this is something she's been thinking about for a while because she posted. The people closest to me know this is something I've been struggling with wanting for the better part of a year. Happy to say I gave this journey my best and more excited for the future. And let me say this, dude. I'm a big fan of Deanna. And the fact that Impact had a chance to sign her and Gail Kim exclusively wanted to work with her and they said no. And then ROH had her and did nothing but stick her on YouTube. And then WWE fucking signed her and kept her in NXT on the Largo loop and then gave her a couple enhancement matches. The fact that all three of these fucking companies missed out on her. Yeah, that's bullshit. Baffling. That is bullshit, absolutely. I'm a, I am a Deanna Prazer fan. I am a fan of her work. I've seen her work in these various promotions and, and done the best she could. You know, she had some good... I mean, back when, she, back when they were trying to do the Woman of Honor thing, she was one of those ones that stood out. She's one of the few like, shining spots there. One of the few shining spots are like, okay, she she's good. She was good, and then you know she went to. Well, she was working everywhere. Didn't was she on that freaking All In show or my? No, she was supposed to be on All In. Ah, okay, I thought she got that signed. She's... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I thought she was she was uh, flirting with that, but then yeah, it didn't happen. But uh, yeah, gosh, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of her work. Um. You know, and they brought her in for the spot with Nia Jax, and Nia was very complimentary of her. Thought she did a good job. So, you know, but at the same time, it's one of those things where we we've talked about it before, where they have they sign all these fucking people, and then they do nothing with them. And some people are okay to sit there and do nothing, but then some other people are like, "Well, fuck, I want to do something." And Diana probably fell into the flyer category, like, "Why am I not doing something more?" And maybe, and this might be a blessing in disguise, obviously, because I think that anybody, if AEW doesn't sign her, they're fucking insane. Because, like we say, they need some more boost to that women's division. And you put Deanna Peraza there, bam, that's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I'm AEW, if I'm Impact, I go after her right away. That's one of the first people you go after, I think. Damn right. Now this whole crop. So, I mean, I think you go after her. And Steve, up next... 31-year veteran referee Mike Kyoto. <laughs> this was a dude that was not only there forever, he was yeah. a guy that 
all the NXT referees will tell you helped guide them in the WWE style, helped them acclimate to their the company, yeah. helped teach them. So he was more than just a referee. He had a big behind the scenes impact, and uh, yeah, he's he done. One of the senior referees, and I assume that uh, WWE decided they had enough referees, and they looked at who was there the longest, and they saw Mike Hieter's name. It's like, okay, let's let him go. And it's a shame, but, uh, you know. And I, yeah, he was one of those guys who was there for a lot of matches. He did a lot of good stuff. And I can't say anything bad about the guy. You know, there are a lot of referees I could sit here and bury for being complete dumbasses, but uh, Mike Hitter, not one of them. He was good at his job. He's a good guy from everything I've heard. And again, uh, all those NXT referees. Always in the right place at the right time. You know, yeah. you know, never any complaints with him. But all those NXT referees praise him. And I get that you need to make cuts and sometimes you need to make veteran cuts. But I'm not sure that I cut a guy like that when he's teaching yeah. your next generation of referees. Uh-huh. I think you find somebody else to cut like... You know, no offense, like a fucking Jinder Mahal making five hundred grand a year for not doing fuck all. <laughs> Mojo Rawley, who's only there making five hundred grand because Gronk is fucking there. You know what? There are some people that probably haven't gotten their call yet. Let's be honest. <laughs> Possibly, but I'm just saying. I mean, there are other people yeah. I give the axe to first because yeah, again, you're, I get you. You're you're fucking um, you're working on that next generation. You need to keep teachers around, and we're going to talk about other teachers leaving, Steve. Yeah. We have more people gone than just wrestlers. Oh, not just the WWE superstars. NXT trainers Kendo Caution, Ace Steel, and Serena Deeb are all gone. And I had no idea that Kendo Caution and Ace Steel were there, to be honest with you. Ace wasn't there that long. Kendo Caution was there for about six months. Serena Deeb, I heard nothing but great things about from everybody in the NXT. Absolutely. I'm sure you did. I mean... Serena Deeb, a stand-up girl, good to good people, and uh, Ace Steel had a lot of experience training. I know that. I mean, this, the Steel Dominion uh, training group that produced uh, CM Punk and Colt Cabana, among others, that, that was all due to Ace Steel. And, uh, you know, Kendo Cashin, uh, <laughs> my best Kendo Cashin memory, of course, was him as Dragon Soldier B in that ROH uh, Best of Super Juniors tournament. Do you remember that show? Oh, everybody remembers that show, Steve. Every ROH fan, every old school ROH fan listening remembers that show with Dragon Soldier B. Oh, gosh. good. That's good memories right there. Some good stuff. But uh, So yeah. we have other cuts, but one that's being rumored, and let me tell you, this is going to piss people off in the developmental system. It's yeah. rumored that fucking Norman Smiley's getting the axe. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I, I heard that too, and that one pisses me off because Norman Smiley. If you're, I mean, you know, you probably if that that guy has a lot of range, you might have seen him do it, like you know, towards the end of you doing the big wiggle, big wiggle gimmick, the hardcore stuff, screaming Norman Smiley or Fralfus, all that stuff. But man, you go back if you go back in time. You see a guy as a classic technical wrestler. You see him as black magic back in Mexico. The guy just fucking knows how to wrestle. And he could train anybody. And people always speak well of him. So The NXT people rave about him. I'm sure they do. 
I'm sure they do because uh, and he always seemed like the nicest guy too. Exactly, but he always seemed like a gentleman. They say he's nothing but kind. He always has time for everybody. He's always willing to teach. Mm-hmm. And it's a again. I mean, I hope he's not gone. But to me, that's a guy you don't get rid of, man. I yeah. Uh, he seems like one of those guys you just keep there as long as you keep you can keep him there. He might die in office, as far as I'm concerned. You know. So we have a ton of producers that are gone. We're going to start off, Steve. Shane Helms and Mike Rotundo, the old IRS, gone. <laughs> on April 15th, the IRS got fired on April 15th. He, he appeared on the fucking bump this morning and got cut. <laughs> He's Bray Wyatt's father, for God's sakes. What the fuck? I I mean, you would have thought that would have been a pretty safe position, but apparently not. I, gosh, I don't know. I... I don't know. I don't know what Mike Rotunda's. Uh, I don't know. I guess he didn't make enough of an impact if he if he could get fired while still being Bray Wyatt's father. I don't. I don't get it. Don't yeah. understand it. Shane Helms had a pretty good comment about how he shouldn't have answered his phone. Yeah. Yeah. He was brought in when they hired a bunch of guys. Um, from everything I've heard, Shane was well liked. I don't know if he had like like a gigantic impact on anybody, but he was well liked and everything. Seemed to do his job well. Sure. The next one that, uh, to me is a big shock, despite the fact that he's been gone in the past. They got fucking rid of Fit Finley. Yeah, he's have uh, he's had a couple stints there, and uh, he came back. And I saw Charlotte Flair posting a picture with her with her Fit. And we know back in the day when the even before the WWE started giving a shit about the women's division. You know, the, we we talk about the women's revolution and how Stephanie McMahon started women's revolution and how everybody starts caring about them after Stephanie. You know, back before they actually cared, Fit Finley was, was out there in the ring before the you know before the show started, working with the women and getting them to learn how to fucking work. That's right. And he and- did a damn good job. Trish Stratus, I mean, Trish Stratus, Victoria, a bunch of those girls, Molly Holly too. I mean. And you can run the gamut pretty much. They all learn that work from fucking Fit Finley. That's, That's right. I, I completely agree. He's a guy that many women have praised over the years. Another guy that helped with the women a lot, especially in OVW and before shows when he was working on main roster. A gentleman that was there for four months working as an agent after closing down his own wrestling school. Lance Storm, <laughs> gone. And Man. That's another one. It's like, God damn, the guy just closed down his wrestling school to go down and work with you people and you fired him. That's that's cold blooded. And I know you're I know you. You are a hardcore stormtrooper from back in the day. You were a big Lance Storm guy. I like Lance. You you do. You do. And he was always a rock solid worker. And he had kind of that weird charisma that you could work off of. Like I mean he did a better job of it than anybody like from Calgary, Alberta, Canada and whatnot. But uh and you know he had some weird stints later on in his career, but uh, yeah, but yeah. See, I mean, I've never heard any bad things from Lance. As a, I've never heard anything bad about Lance as a human being. This is a guy who a week ago was telling anybody on the roster, main roster NXT, that if they needed help with their work or had questions, send him a link to a match or send tell him what show they were on. And he would gladly watch it and send them detailed feedback anytime they wanted. There you go. And this is a guy you cut. Apparently so. (laughs) 
Um, Apparently so in these hard economic times. Another gentleman that's been there for a while, Billy Kidman, finally gone. <laughs> uh, Billy Kidman uh, lasted longer with WWE than did Tori Wilson, apparently. He was there for a long time because after he finished wrestling, he stuck around, he worked in FCW, he started working backstage and just... A guy that worked and stayed with WWE way longer than I ever would have imagined. Yeah. He's a guy that gets a lot of praise from people that worked in FCW and NXT as well. But, uh, sure. Yeah, Billy Kidman, been there a long time. Guess it was time to let him go. Apparently, apparently so. And uh, he did have that run of Tory Wilson, so good for him. That's right. Sean Devari, <laughs> who came in around the time Shane Helms came in, what? gone. Sean Devari was there? He was an agent. I had no idea. I had no idea because I I would have figured if he was there, he would t- he would teamed with your your favorite wrestler Arya Davari at some point. Oh fuck off! Uh, you know that's why I'm that's what I'm figuring. That's why I'm saying it. I mean, I would have guessed if he's still with the company, he would have teamed with that, but it didn't happen. So I literally had no idea he was still there. I'm sorry. Yep, Sean no Davari idea. gone, and uh, not really surprising. Again, he wasn't there that long. <laughs> You know who else is gone is one of Triple H's guys, Scott Armstrong. Oh, they got rid of referee Scott Armstrong. Uh, Scott, one of the, one of the fam- members of the famous Armstrong wrestling family, along with the Road Dog, of course, and with uh, Brad and Steve Armstrong. Who the fuck am I forgetting? The Bullet? No, no I mean Bullet Bob, of course, but there's another brother. Uh, Brad Scott, Steve, and uh, Road Dog. Okay, well, I guess I got them all. All right, <laughs> but a great wrestling family, and uh, I had heard nothing bad about Referee Armstrong the whole time he was there. No, just Good man. Uh, again one of the one of the uh, the casualties. Another casualty, a guy who came in uh, not too long ago, Pat Buck. The, One of the young bucks. Uh, yeah, from the Northeast wrestling scene. Worked at a, owned a wrestling school with uh, Kurt Hawkins at one point. Uh, I'm going to say I, I probably heard some th- bad things about Pat Buck as far as, you know, promoting and things go at some point. So I'm kind of surprised he got employed, to huh. be honest. Well, apparently a well-liked guy, but he's also gone. And then rounding out this, Steve... A heartbreaker for me, the Dark Angel, Sarah Stock, gone. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the ASEAN was also heartbroken about this as well. And uh, Sarah Stock was, uh, you know, she was a second, uh, she was a lieutenant, I guess, to Sarah Del Rey, pretty much. She was uh, working a lot of Raw as an agent and doing a lot of the women's Ah. stuff. And apparently she was, um, from everything I've heard on Twitter and from people in the company, she was happy and kind of settled into being like a WWE lifer. She loved her job. Sure. And everything. And then, uh, she, she's gone. So, mm. Tough. uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what her, uh, condition is and everything, but tell you what, yeah. I would not turn down a fucking, like a limited, like a uh, dark angel fucking indie run. I wouldn't mind a little tour out of her hit the NWA work an NWA title match with Thunder Rosa hit up impact work a couple matches hit up ROH for a couple matches when they do that tournament eventually hit up AEW work with Britt Baker and a couple other people. I don't think CML would take her right. Yeah. They CML take her right away. Yeah. But I mean, I'd love to see her do like a little tour around hit a shimmer weekend, you know, and just, 
I'd love to see her just kind of like, I don't like, again, I don't know if she wants to wrestle. I don't know if she has a bunch of injuries or anything. I would love to see her do a tour around the horn one last time here in the U S though. Sure. Absolutely. And I'd also like to see the last Sarah Del Rey run too, but, uh, I guess she got spared which is good for her. Good. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, so they make all these cuts, Steve, and going into this, we've talked about the WWE's financial stability with the TV deals and they still have decent network subscriptions. WWE out of everybody in MMA and boxing was the best equipped company to ride out this whole thing. Sure. Based on not only the TV deals, but the fact that they had over half a billion dollars on cash in hand and they don't have a lot of debt. Yeah. And yet it feels like they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And I got to tell you, there's, there's a lot of takes aging badly. Like that fucking douchebag mayor down in Florida talking about how WWE is a family who takes care of each other and is right up there in the moral fiber of America. That's right. <laughs> moral, the men of low moral fiber. Was that PWG tag team, the men of low moral yeah, fiber? Yeah, that was uh, Kenny and Chucky e. T. There you go. Damn right. What I'm guessing from this, though, is, and I don't know anything, but for Vince to kind of go into panic mode and making these cuts, it's a couple things. Yeah. First of all, I would guess that maybe he heard whispers from Fox or USA about, you know, if they have to go to tape stuff about the TV deals suffering. Yeah, Fox might be wondering, like, we spent $2 billion on this bullshit. <laughs> so, another thing Where the fuck is like, spent? I don't know. Another thing is, this shit is all preemptive because fucking financials are next week. Yeah. And I got to tell you this, people are discounting this, but there's no mania money this year. Nope. There's no Saudi Arabia money for the foreseeable future because they were supposed to have a show coming up soon. But that's not going to happen. So Um, this is all preemptive for next week. They want to tell you... That mm-hmm. we're doing everything to make this company look good. Yeah. But I got to tell you, the optics of being named part of the economic team to open up America with Donald Trump <laughs> there and doing mass firings the next fucking day is pretty low class, if you ask me. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I kind of see what you're trying to pitch here, why they're trying to paint a good picture. I cannot see a good picture being painted here. I just can't. I'm sorry. There's nothing that I, and I've tried to, I've tried to, to defend these people before. I've, t- I, I told you I was impressed with how Vince McMahon managed to convince the Florida governor that he's an essential business. That's pretty impressive. But uh, as far as being a, a wonderful business that people should buy stock in, gosh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And we should also point out that viewership numbers have never been lower, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that people are not people are stuck inside their houses and they're not watching this shit. <laughs> now you know what's funny is I, I see these people on Twitter, Steve, and they tell me WWE has no choice but to do Saudi Arabia shows because the blood money is just too great to turn down. And well, I get yeah, it. Fine. Hang on, I get it. They're making 50, yeah. 50 million a show. Yeah. But these same assholes 
come out today and they claim that WWE had no choice but to cut all these talent because they don't have enough money. And this is right. what I want to say. You can't have it both fucking ways. Mm-hmm. They either have enough money or they don't. Yep. Pick a fucking side. Quit being a bitch. <laughs> maybe, maybe Damn just right. maybe hoarding a warehouse of fucking overpaid geeks was poor planning. Yeah. And we've we've been saying this for years. Why are you signing all these fucking people? They're, you're not using most of them. You know why There's they're no signing reason. them, Steve. Because they, oh, well, they might make a difference somewhere else. I mean, you know, let's, but between you and me and all these people listening, would uh, Mike and Maria and Gallows and Anderson have made a fucking difference for AEW when the, their show hit TNT? No, Jesus no, Christ. No, not at all. Listen, I love the Good Brothers, <laughs> but they're not going to move the needle. Listen, no. I love the Revival. I want to see the feud with the Young Bucks. I'm not yeah. claiming they're going to draw 3 million fucking viewers for it, though. No. They're a great tag team that I want to see wrestle great tag teams is the bottom line. Yeah. And, so, why, and why, you know, but <clears throat> they'll say, oh, we got to keep them from having them because I really don't think that they'll move the needle that much, as much as you and I will love it because it'll be fucking awesome. But, you know, it is what it is right now. And let's be honest, uh, professional wrestling as a whole, as a medium, is not moving the fucking needle right now as much as we would like it to. Listen, brother, I would love nothing more than to see the Young Bucks and uh, the Revival headline of Dynamite and do 5 million fucking viewers. But I'm also <laughs> a realist, okay? They're going to be closer to 5 million stars than 5 million viewers. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. They and again, might give them five million stars. They won't get. Five, yeah. th- this is no disrespect <laughs> to the revival. I yeah. know what they are. I appreciate them for what they for. They would be a great addition again to any tag team division. But and they will be gonna, an AEW at some point. Yeah, absolutely. but they're just they're not going to sell a butt fuck to like ton of tickets, and they're not going to draw millions of viewers. I'm realistic about it. So the thing Especially is here, with Steve. Arenas, I, d- I I do think that. Uh, the cuts are not over. I'm nah. not going to be surprised if we see some of the NXT UK lads let go. I think um, they all get I mean, I think most of them will get let go, to be honest with you. I don't know if it's going to be most of them, but I can definitely see some. Um, and then you have, like, the NXT people that are the quote-unquote Largo loopers who yeah. are never on TV and are just there. And then again, you have a bunch of long-time NXT contracted talent who are still there for reasons and never do anything. And no offense. One of them was on NXT tonight, Aaliyah, who's been in developmental for about 18 years. Yeah. So I wonder this, Steve, I I wonder how different the business side of things would be going right now. If Georgia Barrios and Michelle Wilson were still there. (laughs) Well, it couldn't be worse. It couldn't be worse because apparently Vince has lost his fucking mind last week, apparently, from what I can tell. This has been an all-timer of a week for Vince. Let me run this down, Steve. Yeah. The XFL shuts down and declares bankruptcy. (laughs) He's advising Donald Trump, which it doesn't look good with everything that's going on. No. Um, People are alleging bribery in Florida for him to be uh, considered a, um, you know, essential business. Allege, I mean, yeah, okay. That's what happened. I'm not going. I'm not going to allege. That's what happened. There was a documentary Tuesday night about uh, a murder that oh, Vince allegedly way, covered yeah. up. 
by the way, Vince McMahon covered up Jimmy Snuka killing a girl. Let's 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 not let that fly under the radar. Okay. And then we'll he released a bunch first. of fuckers during a pandemic. Yeah. So man. Meanwhile, there is a little bit of good out there, Steve. Yeah. I want to tell people this: Impact Wrestling is paying everybody their guaranteed money right now. Well, that's good. Ring of Honor is paying everybody their guaranteed money. And not only that, yeah. they pay- yeah, paid yeah. Katarina Lee, who was supposed to work the women's tournament that got canceled. Yeah. Paid her in full, and she never worked there, was not signed yeah. to a full-time deal. And she thanked them on Twitter, which I Absolutely. think is a lovely move. And from everything I've heard, MLW still paying everybody. Yeah. And as then, much as we hate Sinclair, get on them for that. Yeah. yeah. So, And then we have Japan. The different Japanese companies on Wednesday met with the governmental officials with uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi very much in the lead. Mm. The companies were there in a sign of solidarity and made it, uh, they were making reasoned requests to, number one, find out when the government thought things may normalize. And the other requests were they wanted to protect the health and finances of the talent. They requested a test for their talent and were hoping, especially for the smaller companies, that unemployment benefits could be given to these wrestlers since they cannot even work empty arena shows. Yeah. Tanahashi himself told the government that he believes pro wrestling should be the last sport to return and gave a passionate speech as to why, noting that it wasn't the most important thing in the world. Steve, can you imagine <laughs> Vince McMahon and insert top guy here Going yeah. to Congress and asking the government to help pay for GCW's bills? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Brett, Brett, Vince would tell Brett Lauderdale to go fuck Brett Lauderdale. <laughs> you know, it's just a whole different world over here. And we're supposed to act like pro wrestling is an essential business over here. But uh, at the same time, all these uh, over in Japan, these, kind of, these folks, they can't understand what's going on. I guess Tanahashi's at the front of it. He knows the he knows the deal. He knows it's a bad situation. He knows that pro wrestling is not the most important thing in the world. Dude, he's he, he's not the ace just in name alone. He is the fucking ace of professional wrestling. He is my hero. Absolutely. And he has I'm, a I'm, hair I'm gonna say well. this. I commend uh Japan on how they're starting to really get on this because everybody's shut down now. Mm-hmm. They're trying to show some unity. Everybody wants to be able to have people tested to be stay safe. I love that New Japan and the bigger companies are trying to pull the government to help the smaller companies because they are shut down because of the government because they can't even do the empty arena stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it MLW isn't running anything live. Ring of Honor shut down. You know, I mean, it's just people... There are people playing it smart. And again, AEW isn't perfect, but at least they tape the head and they're done for now. Yeah. So it's, it's still double or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Which I will say, apparently they're holding on pay per view. And if Which you're holding, good luck. listen, <laughs> if you're holding an empty arena and you're gonna fucking charge people money for it, that is some carny next level bullshit by the Con family. Yeah. Good luck getting people to pay fifty nine 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 for that. That's not gonna happen. I'm telling you right well, now. The only people that are gonna be paying for that are the reviewers. Yeah. <laughs> you and Dave Meltzer and <laughs> Alvarez, I don't know who the fuck uh, yeah, I mean no chance. No chance anybody else can pay. So for let that. me say I am not absolving AEW from anything because that is some carny bullshit right there. Listen, 
Run a show, put it on fucking BR Live for free. Put it on fucking YouTube yeah. for free. You don't fucking run an empty arena pay-per-view and charge 50-some fucking bucks during a pandemic. Fuck we'll, off. We'll find out whether they do that or not. I mean, maybe they'll... Uh, they haven't said uh, they haven't said yet, have they? They said it's on pay-per-view. Oh, shit. Well, okay. Well, That's what the ad on Dynamite said tonight. Oh, boy. Well, they'll they'll get some heat for that. That's a, again, that's some next level carny bullshit, man. Yeah, that was not good. And, you know, we'll give we'll give those guys heat when they deserve it, and they definitely deserve it for that. That's good. That, that, I don't. I mean, I understand why they want to get some more money in their coffers to pay these people. But, yeah, nobody's going to pay for that. Not a good look, Steve. Except for Ashish and you and, you know, Dave. That's right. So, speaking of <laughs> AEW, we got to talk yeah. about Dynamite, Steve. Dynamite! So, April 15th, Tax Day 2020. We start off with another really good Jake Roberts promo. He's fucking yes. awesome. It was a very good promo. Very good promo. Anytime you start with a Jake Roberts promo, I always approve of. I also approve of him being home now. Uh, back in the DDP home in the quarantine zone. And uh, oh god, the video! Did you see the video with him and uh, with Jake and DDP on Easter? No. Oh god, you need to see that's that that is as Vince would say, good shit. Oh, it's so adorable. I loved it. So Jake Roberts cuts really good promo, putting over the Lance Archer match with Colt Cabana on this show. <laughs> Put over Colt Cabana a bit, but told him he wasn't good enough to take Archer. Again, which apparently was true. Yeah. Again, it's a, <laughs> a a really good Jake promo, great delivery. He puts over Lance Archer, even puts over his promo or his opponent a bit, and that was followed by a Colt Cabana video package, which I thought was a really good yeah. video package, talking about his his career overall, making it to AEW, his undefeated record so far, and looking to prove himself against a big bad dude in Lance Archer tonight. Yeah, I mean, all pretty good. And as we saw in the match afterwards, I, I don't think we were surprised by the outcome that, uh, you know, everybody dies and Colt had to die. That's right. Lance Archer defeated Colt Cabana 11-20 via pin. Steve, what'd you think? Yeah, Colt, I mean, Colt got some opportunity to shine a little bit, but uh, this is a showcase for Lance Archer and Colt is a good guy to give him that showcase. So I thought it was a pretty darn good match. Uh, extending the straight good match in TNT Championship Tournament. So, good piece of business. I agree. I thought it was a good opener. Archer largely dominated. Colt had some hope spots, but he had enough fire that I felt he retained some credibility in the loss because it was good. So, uh, I appreciated that. Lance Archer still looked like a beast. I know people were like, wish Lance Archer would have beat him a little faster, and I get that. Eh, but he well. he dominated the match. Yeah, and you're trying to keep Cole a little bit strong, which I understand because he's a popular man. That's right. Britt Baker was cutting a promo on the rules of being a role model. Yes. And talking about how Hikaru Shida broke the rules last week when she tried to break her face. And Britt Baker explained that she's the face of the division and she's the true winner. And Steve, I think she's the hero we all need. She absolutely is. I can't disagree with anything in this promo. She is uh, speaking truth to the people. Yes. So we got hype for the Hagar and Moxley main event. We got a Taz tutorial video where he broke down Jake Hagar's head and arm choke. Yeah, I liked it. That was fun. That's a that's a good way to add some time to these shows. Have you have your superstar analyst break down these holds? I like it. And it makes sense. Make it too, seem because, real. 
for God's sakes. Well, that and like Hager's a legit MMA guy. I mean, he. I mean, people are like, "Well, he's not great." I didn't say he was great. He's a legit MMA fighter. And Taz he's undefeated. <laughs> yeah. And hey, Taz's background was he used a choke as a submission. He's an analyst. Again, right. like Steve said, it makes perfect sense. So the good Dr. Britt Baker was in action next, Steve. Yes. And, uh, she faced off with young Cassandra Golden. Cassandra Golden has got looks with uh, AEW and Impact in the past month and a yeah. half or so. I'd give her a look, too, to be honest with you. Not so uh, Dr. Britt Baker, <laughs> um, she ended her quickly. She made her bite the ropes, curb stomped the back of her fucking head and pinned her. And, uh, again, the role model delivers, Steve, with a nice rebound win here. Quick and to the point. Final squash match for the good doctor. I'm a big Britt Baker fan. She's been golden ever since she turned heel. Obviously, and uh, yeah, I was a big fan of Cassandra Golden as well. So, pretty good piece of business there, you know. I wouldn't say I would rate Cassandra Golden quite on par with you know some of the other people here, but you know, she did well. There you go. So, we got uh, Ron Funches and Mike Goldberg from Bellator hyping up the main event where um. Ron Funches picked Moxley to win. Mike Goldberg's a fucking Bellator homer, so he picked Jake Hagar. I, uh, you know, AEW picking the right Goldberg to have on their TV show, right? <laughs> this is true. Yeah, Mike Goldberg, definitely better than Bill Goldberg. And uh, I miss uh, I miss old Mike Goldberg. Good guy. Remember when WWE tried to hire him away from the UFC? I do. I remember that. They're trying to steal him away for some random Raw episode and whatnot. He's going to be the next big guy, next big commentator there. And uh, whatever offer they made was not good enough. So they hyped um, the um, Double or Nothing like be March 23rd. And then, Steve, we got the Bubbly Bunch. Yes, we did. Which was a <laughs> wacky video package on, like, a group Skype call featuring yes. Chris Jericho and his inner circle. And yes. Santana oh, and Ortiz were talking as Ortiz was hanging out with his stuffed animals. There were Zubaz pants involved. Yes. <laughs> Sammy Guevara was working out and uh, yes, he was. said the Bucks stole all of his stuff and he was upset with Matt Hardy for calling him a fake Latino. And then he couldn't count past five in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Hagar was chilling by his pool and agreed. His kids, his kids. were there, and yes. then he told him to put on the earmuffs so he could yeah. explain that he was going to beat the shit out of John Moxley. <laughs> oh, it's great. And then, yeah, Chris uh, Jericho speaking up. and Chris Jericho Sammy can... Sexy made fun of Hangman Page and was wondering if Cody had fed him the Pharaoh because they hadn't seen Hangman Page in forever. Oh, Cody Exotic fed him the Pharaoh. That's right. And then Chris Jericho couldn't pour the orange juice in his glass either. You know, Chris had a little couple. He had, he had a little bit of bubbly prior to that conversation. I think that's a <laughs> low-level setup for Jericho versus Orange Cassidy coming up. Damn right. <laughs> oh, my God. If they book Jericho versus Orange Cassidy, that's got to be a match of the year. Done it. So next up, we had Sammy Guevara and Suge D, also known as Pineapple Pete. And <laughs> Jericho put out a hit on Pineapple Pete, man. Yes, he did, and uh, Sammy Guevara took advantage of it. And I have to ask your opinion on uh, uh, what, what's a better name for you with Suge D and Pineapple Pete? Well, I love uh, Sugar Dunkerton, obviously, but goddamn, I think Jericho got Pineapple Pete over. They're selling a fucking shirt on PWTs, dude. 
Pineapple Pete is a much better name. And Sugar Dunkerton doesn't make sense unless he's wearing his basketball jersey. So, you know, I got to go with Pineapple Peter. Suge D, I don't know about that. Hey, Suge D is great for the fact that Jericho kept calling him Suge Knight all night. Yeah, that was pretty good. And Tony couldn't figure out how to pronounce it. All I know is that Sammy beat the shit out of him. It was pretty good. He it was did. a good squash. Solid, solid piece of business. Went about uh, six minutes. An easy night of work for Sammy, who looked good. And yeah. Then he uh, threatened to go on to beat the shit out of Darby Allen in the tournament. He attacked Suge D, and Darby Allen made excuse me made the save. Oh, Darby Allen bun his nose in when old Sammy's about to make the make the make hay to uh, good old Sugar Dunkerton. But that sets up the match for next week with the big TV title tournament. Gonna be a good match, Sammy, Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen. Looking forward to it. Damn right. Uh, then we had Big John McCarthy picking Jake Hagar to win tonight while Excalibur pinned Moxley. All these Bellator guys ticking together, you notice that? That's right. Man. I someone mean, was like, someone said AEW was becoming TNA light with all the Bellator Association. I'm like, dude, Hagar fights there. They had a couple Bellator people cut a fucking video. It yeah. wasn't like they're showing up and running angles. If they start yeah, doing that... as long that, as John McCarthy's not there running a faction. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now listen, if Bellator geeks start showing up and they run angles, bitch all you want. Yeah. If they're putting over the guy, that's fine. So, Next up, we return to the ring, Steve. Kip Sabian defeating Chuck Taylor at a little over 10 minutes. The Kentucky yeah. gentleman could not get it done tonight, Steve. No, he could not. And uh, I think Kip Sabian did fair and square. I mean, I'm not sure what happened there. I saw... I saw Orange Cassidy laid out there on the sidelines. I'm not sure if he had a stroke or something happened there. But, he fell uh, down, and uh, young James Havoc tried to help him. Yeah, James Havoc tried to help him, but it couldn't quite work out. And Penelope Ford got worked in the ring somehow, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, it got confusing, but all I know is Kip Sabian won, a, won the match fair and square. And all I know is that uh, I, I don't know if Chuck, Chuck Taylor has a quarantine bod, bod going or what he's got going on, but, uh, man, he's getting his body ripped on a lot here is all I'm saying. I don't know. He, nobody gets body shamed more on national TV than Chuck Taylor. Nobody. Nobody at all. Not even, you know, the the female ghost puzzlers. It's uh, Poor Chuck Taylor has to bear the brunt of all this body shaming. It's kind of sad, kind of a shame, but uh, – I will say he lost here fair and square because I, you know, I mean, Kip Saban's a, an honest gentleman and he's got his girlfriend Penelope Ford hanging out there and their, their good friend, James Havoc, who lives in a box apparently. By the way, that, 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 that is his fiance now because he had proposed to her and she accepted. His fiance, my bad, my That's bad. Right. I, I apologize. I, I know, I know you look couple. for accuracy, Steve. Uh, I apologize to the couple, and I, I love them both. I think they're both fantastic. And Mr. James Havoc, obviously, living in a box with them, apparently, which I totally believe he, he would live in a box in a corner somewhere. Jericho wouldn't lie to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tony bought it, Tony bought it as well. Oh, God, the commentary. We have to mention real quick the commentary on the show, fantastic as usual, with this Tony Schiavone and Chris Jericho. You, you know what the best thing about this quarantine era TV has been is like <laughs> Cody and Tony were a really good and fun announced team. And then yeah. Jericho and Tony are great and fun in a completely different way. Yeah. So, yeah, they're good. Um, yeah, I thought this was a good match. Um, They worked hard. Obviously, Kip winning is the right call because he is in the tournament and faces Dustin. 
And yeah. um, the other thing is they aligned uh, Kip and uh, Penelope and James Havoc on screen now. Yes. After teasing that they are friends in real life. So it looks yeah. like they're going to be a little unit going forward. Yeah, and I'm sure that uh, they're... I mean, sure, Jimmy Havoc and uh, Kip Sabian were best friends going forward. Uh, I'm sure they were in the past, and they came over here together. And, you know, it's all a BFF thing going on. Penelope's there. It's all good. And there are two different personalities, too. You know, Kip Sabian being an actual wrestler and Jimmy Havoc being insane. That's right. They uh, (laughs) continued to hype Moxley versus Hagar again with little video stuff. Sean Spears uh, defeated a gentleman named Justin Law in about two minutes. He destroyed. <laughs> Did this guy come off the street? Honestly, I think he's Did he the... walking off the street. He may be the janitor of QT Marshall School. Oh I don't God, know. this guy—he looked like he walked in off the street. I'm okay. I'm listen, sorry. listen. Did you not listen? To you, obviously, did not watch being the elite and Matt Hardy's rules for squash matches. Uh, okay, a squash well, match should not go over three minutes. The True. local enhancement talent should never have a better body or tan than the real talent. True. And the enhancement talent should only get in one move, or if you're a tag team, one joint move. Oh, okay. So they followed the rules here. Sean Spears, obviously a big Matt Hardy fan. Okay, I, I, I understand. I see where you're coming from here, but I'm telling you, they got this guy off the street. Oh, come on, dude. You've watched, like, WCW Saturday Night back in the day and some of these fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to look <laughs> this like this guy shit. walks out here. He's looking paler than Seamus. He's got a kid's head on a kind of flabby body. I don't know what the hell's going on there. <laughs> so, but uh, Sean Jesus Spears Christ. got a he got a rebound win here. He won yeah. on dark the night before. So he beat Billy. That's right. And yeah, uh, Jesus, Billy. you know what? People keep forgetting, man. I mean, Sean Spears is not a small dude, but Billy Gunn is still fucking gigantic. By the way, how many matches does Sean Spears work on this? TV taping. Jesus Christ. Uh, he's a busy guy, man. He must have worked 10 fucking matches in two days. So Good they Lord. announced for next week we're going to have Kenny Omega in action. Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy versus Jimmy Havoc. Yeah. And then two tournament matches. Uh, Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara and Kip Sabian versus Dustin Rhodes. That sounds like a better episode than this week, to be honest with you. Let's yeah. be, I mean, that sounds like a full show right there. Who are you going into tournament? I'm thinking Darby and Dustin. <sighs> I think that I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah, Cody versus Darby would be good. You got Lance Archer taking on Dustin. I think I think it does make sense. Plus, they also set up the Cody and Darby stuff when they had that tag match and Dar- Darby laid them out after the match. Yeah. So. But then again, I mean, Cody and Sammy have some issues as well, and that would be a fine rematch. That would. So, yeah, either way. I do you're... think Lance versus Dustin does seem like the obvious semifinal. Lance versus Dustin makes the most sense if he's going to end up facing Cody because then he can destroy his brother on the way. Yeah. So, yeah. Which will probably happen. Then we got the main event of the evening, Steve. Jim Ross on commentary. This was taped when they yeah. were still in Florida. The no-holds-barred empty arena match for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. John Moxley defending against Jake Hagar. At the end of the night, John Moxley defeated Jake Hagar at 30 minutes and 45 seconds via pin. Steve, what did you think? There's no reason Jake Hagar should be working 30 minutes. I'm sorry. There's just no reason for that. It was... uh... 
there have there have been several matches during this quarantine era that have been uh, gosh way too long, way too boring. It kind of fits in the this kind of fits in that same same realm. I mean, these guys were out there. They're trying hard. They're doing some things, but uh, just not 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 great stuff. Not great stuff. And it probably didn't help that I don't think anybody really thought Jake Hagar was going to win the title. So why you have this thing going thirty minutes when Jake Hagar is obviously not going to win the title? I just, I didn't like it. This is a plea for everybody still running empty arena wrestling. At the absolute fucking max. 20 minutes is your cutoff. The absolute max. And I don't even like you going that near 20 because you have to be really fucking great to make it work. I will say this. Excuse me. Uh, these two worked really hard. Uh-oh. Long matches are hard enough in itself. But long matches in an empty arena are even more difficult. I do think they were smart largely focusing on the action in the ring. We didn't need a tour of the fucking building. But the other thing is this match is we really learned the value of the wrestlers at ringside cheering on matches. Because they add a lot. They add a lot to this. And the other thing was Jim Ross needed somebody on color commentary to help feel the silences during this match. He He desperately did. He really did. Hagar is somebody there. Hagar is a guy that should not be working long matches. I thought he was largely exposed going 15 minutes with Dustin on the last pay-per-view. And with all (laughs) due respect to John Moxley, Dustin Rhodes is a much smarter worker in the fact that he can hide weaknesses really well. And that, that's still respect Moxley because Dustin has been doing this for 30 fucking years. Exactly. It was simply insane to have this match go this long. They built up Hager as a monster challenger of the month, which is all well and good. But the fact is, the match did not work at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Just a bad idea all the way around. And I feel bad for Tony Khan because he told us it was the, this is going to be the best empty arena match ever. And I got to tell you, Terry Funk Jerry Lawler still hold the title. Well, Steve, you got to remember the fact that uh, Tony Khan is a promoter, and if his lips are moving, he's lying. Yeah, but apparently so. It's a shame. It's a so. shame. All right, Steve, on to NXT now. Same date. Started off with the uh, highlights from last week, and then we had Finn Balor defeating Fabian Eichner in our opening match. They went just under 12 minutes, Steve. I thought this was a good little opening match, and it helps continue um, things rolling towards the Finn Balor versus Walter <laughs> match when and if we ever get to it. Yeah. Which will apparently happen at some point in 2021, apparently. So, Well, at this point. stage, it might be likely, yeah. My, I mean, uh, unless the Walter get, uh, Walter probably won't get fired. No. Then again, no. who the fuck knows? <laughs> who knows at this point who might get fired and who might not get fired? But uh, it was a decent little match to continue the angle that may or may not be going on. We saw more Finn Balor later on. So then we get Charlotte in a pre-taped promo. She basically says all the Charlotte things. She's the greatest. She's the queen. She left the Ronda Rousey beaten at the Survivor Series. She praised the NXT Women's Division a bit and then said uh, she's going to give Mia Yim the first shot because Mia was her first opponent in NXT. And 
I'm assuming she means first match, Steve, because I wouldn't think that's the title shot, and why is that? Hold on a sec. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little confused here, sir, because uh, she wants to give me a Yemen title shot. I thought Io Shirai won the match at the uh, quotation mark NXT TakeOver ladder match, you know, all that stuff. I thought Io Shirai was the first person in line for a title shot. I'm not quite sure how Mia Yim got in the mix here. I'm not quite sure how she uh, deserves a title shot more le- more than Mia than Io Shirai does. I'm I'm a little confused here, sir. Yeah, I'm guessing it's not a title match. Um, I think it's they're probably going to categorize it as Charlotte's first NXT match back as champion. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It did. It did come off really confusing, though. Because Io Shirai gonna whoop her ass whenever it happens. Oh I'm God, saying. I hope so. She should. Io Shirai should kill her. I, uh, you know, with all due respect to Charlotte Flair, because she is obviously the greatest woman wrestler of all time, and uh, will go on in legend to be defined as greatest woman wrestler of all time. But uh, Io Shirai should kill her. That's all I'm saying. I don't disagree, Steve. Next up, we had Zia Lee versus Aaliyah. These two have history together because Zia Lee, quote-unquote, injured Aaliyah, which was a cover-up for Aaliyah to get her nose surgery. She broke her face. Well, it was just a big <laughs> angle, though. So. Oh, okay. Okay. It wasn't, well, it wasn't real. It was so Aaliyah could get nose surgery. And then okay. Aaliyah was the one who attacked Zia Lee and took her out of the chance to get into the ladder match a few weeks ago. Right. So this is a little rivalry renewed. Zia Lee beat her ass in 30 minutes so with the Robinson special. And uh, it was short and sweet with the right winner. And uh, if Aaliyah can stay employed, she's an NXT lifer. If she can stay employed at this point, God bless her is all I can say. <laughs> I wish for the best for everybody employed at this point. If she can, if Aaliyah can stay employed, if Vanessa Boring can stay employed, if Zia Lee, if everybody, I mean, I think Zia Lee will be okay because she's got that. Then again, she is Chinese. That could be a problem. She's like the last Chinese fucking talent standing after all the ones they brought in. Yeah, that could be a problem. I don't know. That could be a problem for her. We'll see how it goes. But <laughs> this was a match and it was there is all I can say about it. So Matthew, It was there, you know. Yeah. Matthew Riddle was uh, talking to Peter Dunn on the phone backstage. And uh, yeah. Dunn informed him that he's picking his new tag team partner, but he's not telling him who it is because... Pete Dunn is fucking stuck in the UK and can't get back. That's it. I mean, I'm not quite sure. I mean, how do you feel about this whole situation where Pete Dunn decides who replaces him? Uh, do you think that does Matthew Riddle have, have more of a right to decide who his replacement tag team partner should be than the guy who's uh, stuck in the United Kingdom? Well, I think, think we can that? agree that Pete Dunn is the level headed one out of the group. Well, that he is. He's not high all times. So that's a very fair point. Yeah. As far as we know, we don't know if Pete High, if Pete Dunn is <laughs> if he partakes in that sort of business. We know Matt Riddle does. So. All right. So we the next match was part of the interim uh, NXT Cruiserweight Championship tournament, the best of the Super Cruisers. Yeah. Akira Tozawa facing off with uh, Isaiah Scott. Former yes. champion Akira Tozawa picking up the big win in the first tournament match just under 12 <laughs> minutes. I thought they had a good little match to kick off the tournament. Nice to see Tozawa picking up a win. Slightly shocked, though, because he's been such a non-factor job guy on the main shows lately. So, uh, 
but a good little match I enjoyed. Yeah, it was a very good match. Is uh, one of those high-end cruiserweight matches where they kick out of everything and do everything. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty good little piece of business. And, uh, yeah, I was also a little surprised that Akira Tozawa got the win. But uh, I'm a bigger Tozawa fan than I'm of Isaiah Swerve Scott. So I was okay with it. There you go. We got an El Hio del Fantasma video package. Yeah, he's he's got a mask on again. That's right. A different mask, apparently. Which, I mean, for God's sakes, I saw people wondering on Twitter, oh, what about this guy wearing a mask again? Uh, nobody cares at this point. According to uh, Cubs fan, uh, nobody in Mexico really seems to care. No, they, they, sh- and they shouldn't, because honestly, everybody wrestling should wear masks at this point. Well, you're, they not, wear masks, you're right? not technically wrong there, Steve. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, let's see here. We got, uh, got a really, uh, no, sorry, we had a match next. Tegan Knox versus uh, Raquel Gonzalez. Ah, yes, a grudge match because Raquel Gonzalez has done a lot of bad things to Tegan Knox at this point. So they worked the match. Uh, Gonzalez was dominating with the power game. Dakota Kai got involved, which led to Shotzi Blackheart taking her yes. out. And yeah. Tegan Damn Knox right. picking up the win and tag team match next week, player. Damn right. Shotzi Blackheart taking care of business as, as she always does. God bless her. So I like her getting involved in this stuff. You know, it's about time somebody came Tegan Knox's aid. You know, she's, I mean, Tegan Knox has been putting up with this Dakota Kai nonsense for a while. And she's had this big heater, we call Gonzalez, there for a while. And it's about time somebody stepped up to the plate. You know, all these baby face females next to nobody else wants to step to the plate, but Shotzi Blackheart does because that's the kind of girl she is. That's right. Love her. She's great. So then we got a great. really Love well her. done video package on Keith Lee next, uh, talking about his journey into wrestling and how his family did not want him involved and stuff like that. A really good well, WWE video. Can you video blame package. them? Can you blame them for not? Well, they're probably them. telling them to get the fuck out right now. Yeah, but. damn right they are. <laughs> get the fuck out of there! What the fuck are you doing? Uh, that's why I'd be saying if I was in this family. But uh, Keith Lee got among men. That's right. And then we got Dexter Loomis squashing Tahuni Miles and a oh god, obvious submission. Yeah, get the fuck out of there with that shit. Fuck that. Yeah, he's a channel changer for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know the the worst part about this. Dexter Loomis coming on. It was the same time the the Sean Spears squash with that fucking <laughs> get off the street. It's like, what do I watch here? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a, uh, that's a tough pick. It's terrible. It was the worst part of the night, honestly. You know, you got Dexter Loomis on one channel. He's an asshole. Fuck him. You got the Sean Spears. Oh, God, it's terrible. Ugh. So Adam Cole was practicing social distancing and stayed home and didn't show up for his meeting with the Velveteen Dream. Well, I wouldn't either, to be honest with you, because that Velveteen Dream is not a trustworthy character. So Velveteen Dream was cutting his promo, talking about how he's going to beat Adam Cole for the title. Yeah, Finn sure, Balor whatever. arrived and basically said he doesn't know him or like him, but when he's talking about the best NXT champion ever, he needs to be careful and... uh. Whatever. Hopefully Finn Balor kills him. So we have a date set up between Finn Balor and Velveteen Dream. It was a date. Okay. 
You want to say? I mean, I, I'm just saying that's what they said. That's what they said because I saw fucking. That's all fucking. That's what they said. It's a date. They got a date set for next week. That's what I heard. So next week, what we have on tap, Steve? <laughs> I don't really care, but it's uh, Jeff no, Gallagher. I, mean, I know some people that will because they're all about that kind of thing. Anyway, next week we have yeah. Jack Gallagher yeah. versus El Hijo del Fantasma, which should be good. Yeah. Drake Maverick versus Jake Atlas and Kushida versus Tony Nese, as well as Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. That's a, yeah, I want to see that. Man. That's one I'm more interested about. I don't care. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, whenever you want to crown an interim champion, I don't care about it. That goes back to UFC days. You know, yeah, we got to have an interim heavyweight champion. I don't know. No, no, I'm not about that. So I don't care about tournament, which, which I feel bad for Drake Maverick that I, that I don't care about it, but it is what it is. But uh, I do care about that tag team match with uh, Shotzi and Tegan Knox against uh, Dakota and uh, Gonzalez. I think that's pretty good stuff right there. So it should be a fine show. So next up to close the show, we had the NXT Tag Team Championships on the line. Matt Riddle facing off with Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong. His new partner was introduced by Pete Dunne as one Timothy Thatcher. Yes, Timothy Thatcher. We had a little a Evolve man, reunion. A man who I, I had not seen very much because I am not a regular Evolve viewer. I'm not... I don't see the, the type of independent wrestling or layers on Cassis. I have heard about this man for a long time. I've heard about Timothy Thatcher. I've heard about his grapple fuck, uh, you know, ways and whatnot. And, uh, I gotta tell you, the dude, dude looked like a badass. I think he looked, he looked like a bad man. So they had a 22 minute main event. The champions retained when Thatcher, uh, tapped out Roddy with Fujiwara armbar. Thought it was a good match. Uh, probably the best match on both shows. And, um, thought it was a strong way to debut Tim Thatcher. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought I would agree with you being the the best match on both shows. I thought it was a good combination with uh, Thatcher and uh, Riddle there. I guess uh, Kyle O'Reilly wasn't there due to the, his uh, issue with uh, diabetes and whatnot. So we had uh, Strong and Fish, which, uh, you know, I mean, all those guys can work together pretty well. I mean, yeah. all the Undisputed Era guys, whoever they are, it's a good tag team. So. Well, you put them he, against those guys. It works you, you out. You can never well. go wrong with Roddy Strong in anything for the most part. Yeah, you can put him with anybody. It works out pretty well. So, so. <laughs> it was fine there. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed the reveal of it being Timothy Thatcher. And Tom Phillips was all. Phillips is big on the Thatcher bandwagon. He's like, that's a, that's a bad son of a bitch in the business right there. He was all about Timothy Thatcher. So, I thought I put him over pretty well. And the show closed officially with Tommaso Ciampa on the back cutting a promo, stating he's done with Jonathan Gargano and Candice LeRae. <laughs> uh, they said they agreed that it's going to be all over. Whoever won, won. You and Candice showed the world, so congratulations. You were the better man. And Killer Cross beat the shit out of him and told him TikTok. <sighs> I didn't like that. That is dumb shit. I didn't care for it. <laughs> I didn't really care for that part. I just- it didn't really hit home for me. I know you're a big Killer Cross guy. I don't know. I think Killer Cross is fine. I never saw like super high end stuff with him. I know a lot of people think he's like the absolute shit and love him, but he's fine. Uh, but yeah, he laid out Chiampa, so I guess that's gonna be Chiampa's next program. And we had the female leg staying there, which was you know, Scarlett Bordeaux. Yeah, she, yeah. 
So, Steve, yeah. it's uh, it's time for the old head-to-head comparison for tonight, and I think it's safe to say that neither show had a great show or particularly good show overall. Yeah. I thought Dynamite was rock solid. Um, the stuff that worked was them when they were just thriving through simplicity um, in terms of building to the main event, building to the matches for next week. Um, they're connecting the shows well, and they're building the tournament really well and giving rebound wins to people that need them. And they're also continuing to focus on like Britt Baker and Sheeta, which I really like. A yeah. solid show. I thought NXT, definitely an improvement over last week's show. It had uh, better wrestling. I thought they did a strong job of building up next week's effort. It felt a little more streamlined and simple and focused than it had been in recent weeks, which I enjoyed. Another solid show. Overall, I give NXT the slight nod this week. Narrow margins. Yeah, it is a very narrow margin. I'm going to have to agree with you because I think a lot of the narrow margin is due to uh, AEW having a uh, really bad main event that yeah. carried like the last 30, 35 minutes of the show. And uh, they did a lot of good stuff prior to that. The I love the Tony Schiavone, Chris Jericho uh, announced team. I wish they could do that forever. It's fucking awesome. Love them together. They're there's such great chemistry there, and uh, you know, just listening to them is just a, a treat. I wish they could do that all the time, but uh, you know, the that main event hurt them. And uh, I thought the you know the XT you had the best. Uh, I think you know with the main event. I think with the uh, Swerve Scott and uh, Tozawa match, they had the best two matches of the night, I thought. So, I think you got to give them the edge to do that. Yeah, so again, not not a great night by any shakes. Again, like we said, NXT gets a slight nod tonight. And uh, we'll see what happens in the ratings. NXT won last week by 1,000 viewers. Although which... AEW won most of the uh, demos, you know. yeah. But I wouldn't, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, NXT won, NXT won. It's like, (laughs) you know what? Are you really that proud of NXT winning when they basically put on a takeover ladder match as well as a match they've been building for three years to the blow off? Yeah, anytime you put, I mean, honestly, anytime Gargano, the way Gargano and Ciampa were built up, that should have been blowing anything AW did out of the water or anything anybody else did out of the water and kind of. It won by a thousand viewers, you know, and then when most of them was whatever, I would not have been too proud of that if I was somebody that wants to thump my chest about ratings, which I don't understand that whole aspect of life. That's not my deal. Yeah. So I mean, again, they won. Give them credit and everything, but it's it's nothing I would like shout to the rooftops over. You know what I mean? Oh God, can you shout to rooftops about any kind of t- wrestling TV ratings these days? Let's be honest. Because Raw has been the worst ever, pretty much. Yeah, so I mean... Uh... Oh, it's brutal. It's bad out there, man. And it's, yeah, it's and, and I think it's especially worse when so many people are sitting at home. You know, because you're sitting... A lot of people are just sitting at home. They're quarantined or whatever. They can't, they can't get out of the house. And you would think that this would be a fine time to draw people to your product and... So far, uh, wrestling has not done that. It has not. And we talked about this before, Steve. We said the empty arena setting is going to have diminishing returns. It, it was interesting at the beginning yeah. to some people, and they did well for a couple weeks, and then it just it started fading. 
And I'm not sure having a full arena would help at this point, to be honest with you. <laughs> but with some of the creative that's being produced, uh, I, I just don't know. It's just, it's a bad time. I can see how things are going, and uh, man, it's it's just rough out there. And we just gotta get by and hope we can entertain the masses as we do, which we will pretty soon with our upcoming classic reviews. That's right, Steve. We uh, have a big one coming this weekend, and uh, you gotta stay tuned for that on Sunday. That's gonna wrap up Steve's and I's uh, portion of the show for tonight. But hang on, because we have a retro review with Kevin Pantoja, where he and I discuss WWF Backlash 2002. All right, welcome back to another retro review time here from the Isolation Station here in South Carolina. (laughs) I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this week I am joined by a young gentleman I like to call the Cliff Booth to my Rick Dalton, Kevin Pantoja. (laughs) Kevin, how are you? I'm fantastic, because that's the best introduction I'm ever going to (laughs) get. I'll, I'll forever take that character. I've had a, I've thankfully during this whole time had a chance to finally catch up on a lot of movies I missed. Nice. So I finally caught Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I caught Creed two. I caught Zombieland two. I caught uh, Fighting with My Family. Fantastic! I saw three of those in theaters. Uh, Once Upon a Time was the only one I did it, but I did see it. One of my favorites last year. Uh, anyone who follows me know that I watch like a movie every single day. Oh yeah. Um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's like I saw over a hundred movies that came out last year, and it's in the top ten for last year. So very good stuff. Yeah, it really was. I enjoyed. It. I'm a big Tarantino movie guy anyway, but for sure, I was looking forward to that, and uh, you just finally got around to it just because of time and stuff. And I wasn't going to no, movies of course, a lot yeah. last year, so. But uh, yeah, 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 I enjoyed catching up on my movies, and uh, yeah, but uh, Kev, we're back to do some retro review stuff, and. Before we do that, shout out the Patreon and the big project you're starting because that plays into what we're covering today. Absolutely. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at you know at the Kepsta T H E underscore K E B S T A A A, and then you can also support me on Patreon. Same thing, Patreon.com slash the Kepsta. Uh, there I do various different things, you know, reviews, top five list, uh, weekly, you know, match rankings, um, and well, also just a, a quick note: I am starting my officially my top 500 matches of the 2010s list. Um, just got the order sorted, so now I can start getting into writing them all. So those will be posted soon. Um, but the big project that I've been working on is the brand split wars. I've seen a lot of people, myself included, do the Monday Night Wars in the past, um, but I decided to look at a different era. And it was right when the 2002 WWE draft came when they first did the split. So I've been looking at every week Raw versus SmackDown and seeing which show is better. And when it came time to think of a new review to do for this podcast, I suggested Backlash 2002, which is the first pay-per-view of that era. And I reviewed every episode up to this. And I actually already, I haven't posted it yet, but have reviewed the Fallout episodes of Raw and SmackDown. Um, and it's going pretty well. The episodes aren't great, but it's fun to look back. That's right. So everybody's sick of the Monday Night Wars rehash that everybody and their mom has done at some point, myself <laughs> included. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's a different thing. Kev's digging into the um, the ruthless aggression era, the brand split wars, and yeah, we are going to talk WWF Backlash 2002, April 21st, 2002, from uh, Kansas City, Missouri, at the Kemper Arena. 
12,489 fans in attendance for this show, Kevin. Mm-hmm. It's uh, um, The build-in to this show was kind of weird because it seemed like some of the matches didn't get put together towards to like maybe a week beforehand. Um, just probably because of the split and everything. Um, but yeah, also just a, a note that I read when I was looking up the show, it's the first pay-per-view held at the Kemper Arena, you know, uh, after Omar Hart's death there, so... That's right. The, uh, the yeah. same venue, unfortunately, and I'm mm-hmm. sure not a lot of people were exactly thrilled to go back to the venue. Yeah, I would. I feel like I could never. Maybe I don't think I'd ever be able to attend a show at the same place where that happened if I was there originally. You know. That's right. So we started off this uh, show, Kev, with the cruiserweight championship on the line: Young Billy Kidman versus <laughs> Tajiri with Tori Wilson. Yeah, Billy came and had his dope WCW theme still. Yeah, one of the few things from WCW that survived at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we, uh, Billy Kidman as our Cruiserweight champion. Mm-hmm. And, oh, um, go ahead. Oh, no, go I ahead. was just going to say, uh, this basically all came about on the SmackDowns beforehand. Uh, Tajiri was Cruiserweight champion at the time of the brand split. And I don't know if it was the first or second SmackDown episode. Um he lost the title to Billy Kidman because of a slight distraction from Tori, which was inadvertent. He's been playing up the jealous boyfriend storyline, where it making her wear a kimono and or a geisha to the ring and everything. Um, and he was jealous that she got like uh, good luck, or she said good luck to Billy Kidman, and he was just very upset about it. That is right. So the, yeah, I'm glad Kev's here to give these backgrounds because obviously <laughs> I didn't watch all these episodes heading in, and I do not remember them. So this was a this was a good pick to open up the show. They mm-hmm. went under ten minutes, uh, and at the end of the day, Tajiri wins back the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a really good opener and a nice way to kick off the show because there's a lot of other stuff we're going to talk about later on. You understand, but I thought it was a really enjoyable opener. I liked both guys. Tajiri was a guy I just. I wish they would have done a little more with in WWE overall, but I always enjoyed mm-hmm. his stuff. But I thought this was a really enjoyable opener. I thought the time frame was really good on it. It stayed under 10 minutes, stayed really energetic. And both guys in 2002 were still really good. Yeah, you know, it's the case of this was like a WCW pay-per-view where it opened with, you know, like a hot cruiserweight match. Even if the crowd wasn't super into it, they were a little more here than they usually would have been, probably because of Tori. You know, no matter what Tori did, she was over, which, you know, by extension made Tajiri, gave him heat. Um, like you said, good match, great, you know, solid back and forth throughout. Uh, they kept it short and sweet and to the point. It didn't have a lot of drama, which probably held it back from being, you know, great. Um, but just very good stuff. Uh, I do, uh, thought, sorry, uh, Tajiri won when he spit the, uh, I think it was Red Mist, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he spit Red Mist on Kidman as Kidman went for a powerbomb, which is a nice turnabout in the fact that you supposedly can never powerbomb Kidman. Apparently, he can't powerbomb either. That's right. You can't powerbomb Tajiri in this one. (laughs) So I thought that was, you know, just a fun little thing to notice. So, But yeah, good, enjoyable opener. Um, I I liked it a lot. You know, again, I think it's it's always important to kick a show off well like this. And, you know, there are people that always want to kind of shit can on opening matches and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes the opening match is just as important as the main event to get things off. I think it was a 
was it last year? Didn't uh, Will and Ibushi open Mania or uh, Wrestle Kingdom? Yes, that's the one where, yeah. yeah, where Will Ospreay like ripped his head off with that hidden blade yeah. and concussed him. Yeah. But I mean, you know, people were, you know, it's like, you know, Will and Ibushi are great and everything, but I don't think anybody really bitched at that opening to show because it was an extremely strong opener. I thought it was pretty I, great. And I think it was uh, Chris Jericho who said, you know, if you're not the main event, you want to go on first. I could be wrong on who said it. But that makes a lot of sense. You look back at, or a lot of the recent WrestleManias, you know, Charlotte Rhea opened night two. Uh, they had that Finn Balor, Miz, Seth Rollins triple threat that opened. Yeah. Um, triple H, Daniel Bryan a few years ago. So it's important to have that hot opener because if you come out the gates flat, it's like, ah, oh, what's the rest of the show going to be like? Exactly. So again, we're off to a good start here. Got a little backstage segment where... Bradshaw and Farouk reunited and they were thrilled to see each other because they were missing each other after approximately two weeks. Yeah, that was my main thing with it. It's, uh, I mean, the crowd popped pretty well for it, but it's like you've been broken up for two weeks. It's not like this is some huge, you know, meetup. Uh, and since, since the breakup, um, well, since, you know, that they've been put on different brands, Bradshaw's been getting the push. He's made events at a couple roles with Stone Cold as his partner while Farouk has been basically his character on SmackDown is rooting on Mark Henry as he does feats of strength. So, yeah. Yeah. Signs of things <laughs> to come for sure. But it's like, it's it's just amazing. They're all like, hey, you look great. And it's like, it's been two weeks. Yeah, what'd you think he let himself go in two weeks? I know. It's like, Ron, you need a haircut, brother. It's like, what the hell? It's like, what? It's just really odd. So that led to Scott Hall with X-Pac in his corner facing off with Bradshaw with Farouk in his corner yeah um I do want to say that I think it's uh like I get the idea of Farouk you know coming out to be his backup that makes a lot of sense but already they had been just I know it's supposed to be separate rosters and they had already been going against that like in the build-up or the night after this we'll get into it later but Undertaker and Triple H the week after both show up on each other's shows. And it's like, why are you allowing this to happen? This should not be happening. And then you got Farouk here helping him out. I know it's not separate shows, but still. Yeah, so Scott Hall and Bradshaw and who, buddy, they had a match. (laughs) Yeah, uh, like I said, this has mostly been built off the fact that um, Bradshaw's been teaming with Austin, usually against the NWO in the past three weeks. Also, the NWO walked around backstage and found the APA office and basically kind of destroyed it. And Bradshaw was very upset. The best part is when he finds out that they're there and he goes to like confront them, he goes through the APA door, <laughs> like not around it. Um, so yeah, that led them here. Also X-Pac was wearing Kane's mask because they attacked him and X-Pac stole Kane's mask. Yes. And a feud that had been going on what feels like for fucking eons at some point. Seriously. It it just never ended. So they had a match. They hit each other. And that kind of feels like it. JBL almost won with the clothesline from hell, but X-Pac had put Hall's foot on the ropes, mm-hmm. leading to Farouk chasing him around like he's seen from Scooby-Doo so that Scott <laughs> Hall could hit the low blow and win at about six minutes. And I mean, I don't want to totally shit on it, but it was not good at all. It was really bad. And Jesus Christ, did Scott Hall have nothing left here? He had nothing. I I don't know if I've ever seen this many like punches and kicks thrown in one match. Like, I don't know if there was five offensive moves done. It was, you know, Bradshaw Hall was not 
obviously, like you said, everything was gone by by this point, and Bradshaw's not the guy to carry him to something watchable. No, no, no especially Bradshaw <laughs> in two thousand two. Yeah, it's um, oof, severe downgrade yeah. from that opener. Yeah, it it fell off a cliff. Um, it's the exact opposite of kind of match too. You know, you had a fast paced opener with good back and forth, and this was just two guys slugging it out in the slowest possible manner. Yeah. And backstage, yeah. Vince McMahon was angry at Ric Flair because Ric Flair had made himself the special guest referee for tonight's Steve Austin and Undertaker match. These two yeah. fellas just did not get along. That was pretty much the whole crux of everything. Like, this segment really didn't have a point um, just to further that Vince and Flair didn't like each other. But I'm like, at this point, they had split brands and wrestled at Royal Rumble. I didn't need this feud to continue. Yeah, I... <laughs> At least we got Arn Anderson in, in the scene. Yeah. So we went on to the WWF Women's Championship match. Jazz defending against Trish Stratus. Jazz kind of makes easy work of Trish here. A little over four minutes. Uh, finishes her with the STF for the submission. And I thought, I thought it was okay. It wasn't bad. Obviously, it was much. It mm-hmm. felt much better than Scott Hall and Bradshaw for sure. Um, I thought it was an okay match overall, and this was around the time where you could start. To me, I thought this was when Trish started kind of showing that she could become something as a wrestler. She felt like she was growing more often than not. And there were way less awkward spots and dead spots in all of her work. And obviously, Jazz was really good, actually, at this time. But yeah. um, Trish was actually really showing growth. And it was it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of people that don't remember when Trish was nothing but a, a piece of ass at ringside. Yep. And then there was a point when she was just really bad. And then yeah, yeah. now everybody knows that like Trish became really, really good and she's treated that way. But there was that just a long time to where she was there. And a lot of people don't remember that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, if you go back, obviously here it's what, April 2002. She won her first women's title in November of 01. And even if you look back at that, she looked, she didn't look that great in that Survivor Series match where she won the title. In 01, really the main time that she showed any flashes was the Stephanie McMahon match at No Way Out. That was way better than it had any rights to be. Yes. Uh, but that was more like just two people building off the story. And you could tell by 2002, she was starting to get more of the, you know, timing. Like you said, there was no awkwardness. This was a very tight four minutes. Like it wasn't, there wasn't like any noticeable botches or anything like that. Um, Of note, Molly Holly attacked Trish before the match. They've been feuding on TV. That's when Molly like was starting her pure virtuous gimmick. And she like broke the paddle over uh, Trish's head. Um, And Jazz showed up and was just like, all right, I'll take it. This seems easy. (laughs) Um, I thought this was, like you said, it was, it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, but it, you could see, like you said, flashes that there was stuff, something there with not just Trish, but also the division. If they were given more chances back then, yeah. uh, jazz was like a great bruiser. She took advantage of Trish being already beat up and like beat the shit out of her. Uh, I like the ending because she had the Boston crab on and you would assume Trish would make like the crawl to the ropes and escape. But then she transitioned to the SDF and Trish just had a tap. It was the story of like Jazz and the attack before the match was just too much for her. And I like that. It felt different. Um, also, Jazz had a great looking STF. What like I love John Cena, but it looked way better than his. Oh, yeah. Um 
and just yeah like it just it's it was it was good stuff yeah and again like we all know like trish obviously always had the look because i mean she's gorgeous but she was also a fitness model so she looked great but mm-hmm. like she also had she started showing that she was getting it in terms of just putting things together in the ring Re- really important kind of in the overall evolution of her yeah, she was selling like very well too throughout. Like you, you know, you really believed the beating she was getting. Yeah, and again, that's a stark contrast to like her earlier work because a lot mm-hmm. of like a lot of inexperienced people, she did that like dead fish selling early on. Yeah, like there's no emotion, no a fight, no fight to it. And yeah, it's just um again, I, it's always cool when you see people evolving. Yeah, she's one of the one most interesting ones to watch because it's. It's so, like, you can just see it as time goes on, how much better she gets at all the little things. And then she went on to become arguably the greatest ever, so. Then we get a we get a very 2000s recap here of Paul Heyman sniffing <laughs> Lita's panties and then offering to tell Brock Lesnar to take it easy on Matt Hardy if she plays nice with him. Yeah, it's one of those storylines that just would never fly today. <laughs> It's very Paul um, Heyman. Yeah, it feels like something out of ECW. Uh, it's it's not a great story. I do think though that this was like you even if you take out the like you take out the Paul Heyman being creepy story, this was like brilliant booking in terms of who to put against who because you have the new dominant monster in Brock Lesnar against like the Hardy Boys who are super sympathetic baby faces who can take a beating. Exactly. So Matt Hardy then gets taken out on the ramp with an F5, leading to Brock Lesnar humbling young Jeffrey Hardy in about five and a half minutes. And this is this is Jeff being a fired up babyface, doing everything he can, failing because Brock is a fucking beast. Um, and then the finish is just Brock decimating him with repeated power bombs until referee. A younger Theodore Long stops this match because Jeff is going to die at the hands of this monster. Pretty much. Uh, it's a case of kind of like the last match where, you know, the match is not great, but it's a really good piece of business and booking because Brock looks like an abs- like he just came off looking fantastic. And like I said, like, you know, Jeff can take a beating. He can bump crazy. The crowd loves him. Um, he did get in a few hope spots to keep it interesting. It wasn't like this was just five minutes of one side. And, you know, he had a near fall in there. Like, he got his, his points in, but it did what it needed to do in getting Brock more over. And, of course, it worked as Brock would be world champion in, like, four months. Yeah, and I guess, like, um, I think the best comparison I have in terms of modern times, this is a kind of very Lance Archer, Marco stunt. Yeah, which apparently I saw that tweet that said... Uh, like, I can't believe AEW will resort to this kind of thing. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just wrestling. Oh, I know. 2020, <laughs> people trying to make sh- more out of shit. They're like, yes, a big giant man beat up a tiny little man. Oh, no. Like, that's, that's just how, like, that's just, like, common sense. Like, booking 101, you know? <laughs> I mean, the, the, this chick on Twitter that posted that was acting like Lance Archer beat the shit out of Yuka Sakazaki here, man. Yeah, but, but come on! It was it was Marco Stunt. That's his fucking job. He's a little baby face underdog dude. Lance yeah, Archer, like, beast, going to kill people. Did nobody ever show her when uh, Mike Awesome wrestled Spike Dudley. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> 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 but 
But yeah, like you said, it's um technical terms, it's not a great match, but angle wise and in terms of building Brock, mm-hmm. it's great and it works perfectly. He's a remorseless animal. He's just gonna kill people. He doesn't care about Lita, he doesn't care about Matt, he doesn't give a fuck about Jeff. He just wants to beat on people. Heyman knows that. He's sending them after people and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean there's there's nothing better when done right than a match like this. Again, Jeff had some hope spots. He's a fiery baby face. He's obviously over because he's Jeff Hardy. Mm-hmm. But Brock just fucking wrecks him. And man, you look back during this too, and you just forget how much of a I mean, it's not like a lot has changed, kind of, but like Brock was just such a dominant physical presence. Yeah. But it was so different back then because now it's Brock goes through the motions, Brock does what Brock does, and that's it. You can take it or leave it, and you can enjoy it or not. But back then, like, Brock felt like like an exciting happening when he appeared. Yeah, like, looking back at these episodes, when I see Brock come out, it's like, and granted, he doesn't have his theme yet. He has this generic theme that makes it a little less exciting when he comes out. But, you know, he looks legitimately, like, terrifying. <laughs> Exactly, and that's that's what it was all about. And you you know, people can bitch about certain things now and all that, but they were working on making Brock, man, and it, they did a really good job. And this was one of those many steps here, and it's really good. And so, yeah, I mean, again, not a great match, but um, it was a turnaround along with the women's match and improvement over um, Bradshaw and Scott Hall. So mm-hmm. we were improving, and then things got even better because we got Edge versus Kurt Angle. Wow. <laughs> and yes, that is just, if it sounds really great to you on paper, let me inform you, it's really great going back and watching it on video. It really is. This match is so good. <laughs> um, Again, another example of you don't have to work a fucking marathon to have a great match. They go under 14 minutes. It's actually just mm-hmm. a bit over 13. I think it's a great professional wrestling match. Um, Kurt Angle is just, you know, he's Kurt Angle in 2002, so he's great. But yep. this was a time, to me, where Edge was really starting to show that he could grow into a star singles. Because Edge always had a good look, he looked like a star, but during 2002, he was really stepping up at times. And again, mm-hmm. you can say, well, he's working Kurt Angle. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is working Kurt Angle, but he more than held up his end of things in this match. I thought it was a very big step up for Edge at the time. And mm-hmm. yeah, but I mean, Kurt Angle, obviously great. We all know that. But Edge was equally as great here. Uh, like Best thing on the show, probably, for me. I enjoyed the hell out of this. Uh, I'd say best thing on the show easily. Uh, when I did my original review, I had it at four and a quarter stars, and that stays. Uh, now it's still just as good as I remember it being. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, he's in there with Angle, and which makes sense. You know, Angle's one of the best ever, so Edge is going to be better in there with him. Um, but you can always tell when, like, a top star carries somebody, and you can tell when, like this case, where Edge was stepping up to his level. Um this was the first match that I feel really let everybody know, okay, Edge is legitimate. Like, it's not just this guy has a poten- potential to be a big star. This was his kind of coming out part of this feud with Angle. He was getting over with the crowd. You know, he started the You Suck thing, and he had the gimmick with the the segment where he had a, all the photos with, you know, I'm a dork and all that on them. Um, and then, obviously, he was going to nail all the charismatic stuff, but then once he got into the ring... He held his own with Angle for 13 minutes, and there was no, like, bullshit or shenanigans in this match. 
No, like, there, was like no there was clean. like no real downtime either, man. They were no, going yeah, they in made... a good clip. And yeah, four four and a quarter sounds. I mean, it's yeah, it's right there. It's it's great match though. It's I I enjoyed this. Like I said, just enjoyed the hell out of it. And, yeah, and like I said, the clean finish is great because you know so many times they would just want Angle to win a handful of tights or something, but he just is better than Edge, and that's why he won, which is great. But Edge, this is one of those cases where. The guy lost cleanly, but gained so much in terms of just how over he is and how much people believed in him and understood, like, this guy's legitimate. Yeah, and again, you know, we, we often talk about how you can lose, and it's okay. You can still get over by losing as long as you're you're made to be competitive, you look strong, mm-hmm. and you don't look like a fucking geek in the end. Yep. So, what the hell are you doing over there, by the way? For me? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I was hearing uh, like a weird noise in the background. Oh, no. I had my uh, a pen in my hand that I was like running oh, back okay. and forth. <laughs> oh, no. That's cool. I didn't know you could hear it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. This is definitely it, – it's a really great match. And, again, just – um, it kind of clicks all the boxes because Kurt Angle looks great in victory. Edge looks great in loss. There's no fucking bullshit. It doesn't go too long. And it's – uh, yeah, it's just – um. You're looking at like yeah the kind of the beginnings of Edge proving that he can go as a single and this is like Cook and I always joke about this like how great Kurt Angle was like when he tricked WWE into signing Tatanka and Marty Jannetty by working SmackDown matches with them and WWE was like (laughs) Jesus Christ Tatanka and Marty Jannetty are still great we should sign them and it's like does does nobody just realize that it was all Kurt Angle smoking mirrors right. (laughs) <laughs> but no this Kurt was Angle a definitely an ex- example of edge stepping up and you know i mean that dude may may have something yeah <laughs> Who knows? he might be pretty good so we had a uh wwf intercontinental championship match rob van dam defending against eddie guerrero mm-hmm. and this match is not as good as the last one but it's a good good to very good match uh, goes about twelve minutes. Eddie Guerrero winning the cruise. The uh, sorry, I was about to say cruiserweight, the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, and yeah, just for me, so much fun going back to watch Eddie. Yeah, especially this Eddie because it feels like when we go back and watch Eddie, for the most part, it's like two thousand four, two thousand five, when he had the shorter hair and was in the main event scene. This was him fresh off of. You know, he still had the long hair. He was fresh. He was still a heel. Um, he was fresh off the injury that kept him out of, like, the whole invasion angle. Um, he had returned the first night of Raw after the brand split and attacked RVD. Basically, the whole feud was built around he stole the Intercontinental title that Eddie said was rightfully his, and he stole the frog splash from him, <laughs> um, which is fine, you know. Uh, like he said, very good match. It wasn't great, but you could tell it was, like, probably their first time seriously working together. Um, just really good back and forth. Um, Eddie won with the frog flash. You know, they, a little bit of shenanigans at the end with some referee, a uh, ref bump and using the cha- the title as a weapon. Um, but yeah, Eddie showed he could still go after the injury. And then they'd have a much better ladder match a few months later on Raw over the title. Yeah. I think the thing I really liked about this is that... Um... This felt like they were making a concerted effort to get Eddie back over here um, because 
This is like a really one-sided match to me. Like Eddie fucking eats him up in this match. Yeah, it's surprising too because RVD had been way over since he showed up in WWE. Like he was the only dude on the invasion that was getting huge pops. And he had just won the title not too long before. I think he beat Regal at Mania for it. So within a month he had dropped it and that was surprising. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting booking in that aspect because you wouldn't think that I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, RVD is pretty much his bitch in this match. Kind of, yeah. I mean, but it's um, it's also really smart because they wanted to get Eddie, like, this is Eddie fucking Guerrero. You know, it's like they did not want to fuck around with it, so I think it was important. And like I said, they go into feud. I thought they had a really good feud. That ladder match is pretty great. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it all works coming well out of this. So, I, I do like that. Uh, it, and like what always cracks me up is they do a recap next of Ric Flair on Raw talking about <laughs> the brand new era of Raw. So, of course, this leads to a number one contenders match with Steve Austin and The Undertaker, who, you know, feuded in 2000, yeah. 2001, 99, 98, 97. And if you want to get real technical back in WCW is stunning Steve and the fucking Punisher. So, I mean, yeah, it's. A new era. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, it's funny to look back at because watching these episodes of Raw and SmackDown, they were having issues really. You know, the whole point of the brand split was the roster's more talented than ever. We can get more people shine because, you know, there's two separate rosters. And yet really only Edge and maybe Eddie Guerrero at this point have been somewhat elevated, you know, who wasn't already kind of established. And that's because there was feuds like Stone Cold versus The Undertaker and the main event on this show that was kind of holding things back, you know? Yeah, just a little bit. So we get Steve Austin and The Undertaker. This is a number one contenders match. And Ric Flair is your special referee, which means totally nothing bad will happen here. Of course. And the whole storyline coming in was that you know, I don't know if you remember, Austin was a free agent at, after the draft, so he could choose Raw or SmackDown. He chose Raw, but still hit Ric Flair with a stunner. And then Rick was all like, you know, woo, I'll take you to Space Mountain. Like, he got upset. And they just had this, you know, they kept going back and forth at each other. And it was, you're watching it, you're like, I've already seen this with Austin and Vince, and it was much better when it was that. So it's like, I just, it's not a few that sounded really interesting to me. And then having him here, you knew there was going to be some sort of, like, a uh, fluky kind of messy finish. Yeah. What's really interesting is uh, this was an exercise of getting more out of less very early on. They do like nothing early on. Like your big high spots were a shoulder tackle and then the Thez press by Austin. But like Seriously. people went nuts for it though, because like, yeah, they were working the crowd. Right. And then you know, it kind of, Kind of diminishing returns there for me after that. A lot of kind of walk and brawl and fucking Taker applying chin locks. <laughs> oh my god, it's rest hold city Ch- chin locks, leg locks. Like it's like Undertaker. They did their little brawling, which was pretty good. Like you said at the beginning, like some of the early, you know. And then once they get to rest hold, it's like, why are you guys trying to wrestle? This is not your strong suit, especially in Austin, who had been beaten. You know, his body wasn't. <laughs> really working for him in 2002 and Undertaker wasn't exactly killing it in 2002 either. Yeah. And this kind of goes to a thing I've talked about and I know it upsets some people because it's Steve Austin, the Undertaker, but these guys did not have great matches together. 
Thank you. I, oh, it, honestly, like Undertaker is one of the greatest of all time. No one's denying that. No, but no. He and Austin not, are all time greats, man. But yeah, I like. I thought their SummerSlam '98 match was pretty good, especially considering Austin had the concussion. I like the Cold Day in Hell, and I have a soft spot for their first blood match at Fully Loaded. But I think every other match they had is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just like they they never really hit great, and it's. It's really surprising when you think about it, but again, it's like not everybody clicks, you know. It's yeah, and like I was, you know, Undertaker, like I said, one of the greatest ever. But if you look back at this era, he never really had any great matches with The Rock, and him and Triple H didn't start having good matches together until WrestleManias. Yeah, um, like I think WrestleMania 17 was their only good match together before the 27 and 28 matches. So it's like. Three of the best of the era, probably the three best like big stars of the era, and Undertaker just didn't click with any of them. It was kind of weird. And then you look at the the weirdest thing of them all. Who did he click with? Fucking Batista. <laughs> it made no like they were so good together. Him and Batista. They were, and like I'm not trying to run down Big Dave and all. It's just it's like you wouldn't think that the Undertaker and Dave Batista would have great chemistry, but I thought they always. It was like I was always amazed by their chemistry. Yeah, like they always put on bangers and it, you know, it's one of those things where it's just the case of two guys who might not, you know, not to say that they would have bad matches together, but we've seen The Undertaker against a lot of bigger powerhouse guys and it doesn't usually work. But with Batista, it worked tremendously. Yeah, so anyway, after like 20, it's like 27 minutes, I think. It's 27 minutes. Okay, so it's like 27 minutes. Taker ends up winning, but Steve Austin has his foot on the ropes, and Ric Flair did not see it, which this is going to lead to the Ric Flair heel turn to play into the stuff with Austin, from what I remember. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, again, it's just the match, like, it starts out pretty well. Again, they milk that beginning, and then the brawling is pretty good. And then it just, it's weird rest hold city, Undertaker working holds, and I don't know. It's just, it doesn't come off well. And, like, the NWO came out at one point and, like, just were there. Yeah, I don't really know what the point of them being there was. (laughs) So, and it's, I don't know. Again, it's just an example of, unfortunately, Taker and Austin not clicking well together and going too long here. Yeah, absolutely. No need for these two to go 27 minutes, even in their prime. Definitely not in 2002. And like you said, it leads to the, you know, the Ric Flair heel turn. And at Judgment Day, the next review, it leads to Austin versus Ric Flair and Big Show in a handicap match. So not exactly riveting stuff. No. So in the back, Jonathan Coachman tells Flair about the ending and shows him the replay. And Ric Flair is just like, oh, shit. Yep. All right. Pretty much, yeah. He's like, oh, I blew that one. And we went to another title match next, the WWF World Tag Team Championships. Billy and Chuck with Rico Constantino mm-hmm. defeated Al Snow and Maven in about six minutes. And I always had a soft spot for Rico because I was a big fan of American Gladiators. Obviously, I co-hosted for years, but... Um, no, I always loved Rico on American <laughs> Gladiators, and he was a dude that like they had a lot of hope for. But unfortunately, by the time he got into wrestling, he was just an older dude. And yeah. this was back when they weren't giving older dudes much of a look at all. 
No, obviously really he went on to have a solid main roster career because man is Billy and Chuck and he, he held tag titles with like Charlie Haas and shit. So mm-hmm. he had time on TV and everything. And I think he made the best of it, but yeah, then you had like Billy and Chuck here and his. Yeah. It was Billy Rico, and Chuck. Yeah. Rico was good because he like, you know, he was, he understood he had charisma and he understood how to get himself over and stuff. So that was, you know, that's like he made sure to make the most of whatever time that he had. Yeah. But I, I liked Rico a lot and Billy and Chuck were, they were a fine tag team, but it was uh the whole Billy and Chuck angle. And this match mm-hmm. was, like I said, six minutes and it, it's, I guess it was supposed to be a cooldown match between Taker and Austin and Triple H and Hogan, but I don't necessarily think you needed a cooldown match after Taker and Austin. <laughs> <laughs> so this, um, this was like not good. I thought, I thought this was kind of yeah. Bradshaw Scott Hall level. <laughs> that poor tag team division. The thing was they made the women's and undisputed titles, you know, they could go back and forth between Raw and SmackDown. For some reason, the tag team titles weren't included. So Billy and Chuck got drafted to SmackDown where there weren't really any tag teams. It was Al Snow and Maven put together. And then they had Albert and Scotty Tuhati, but Albert turned on him. So it's like, what are you doing? Your tag team division is depleting by the second. I have no clue. But yes, this was this was definitely a choice for a pay-per-view match. Yeah, uh, the best thing about this was Rico at ringside. Uh, I don't know if you knew, but he's like worked since wrestling as a paramedic on the SWAT team and as a bodyguard. Yeah. Like Rico's, yeah, he's the best part of this. Uh, He's the fucking man, dude. Yeah, Maven hits like a dropkick at some point. That was always like his cool thing. So (laughs) He had a nice dropkick. Yeah, and that was about it. So Yeah. And then the main event of this show is... WWF Undisputed World Heavyweight Champion Triple H (laughs) defending against Hulk Hogan. This is a clash of titans that goes 22 minutes. And I think the best way to describe it, and you may disagree, Kevin, is this was an exercise in Triple H wrestling himself for 22 minutes. (laughs) Because... I'm sure that they had a pre-match conversation and Triple H was like, what can you do? And Hulk's like, I can do what I do, brother. And Triple H was like, well, can you bump? And he's like, no way, dude. He's like, do you got any big spots you want to work? He's like, not a chance, Jack. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, I can do some back rakes and a leg drop, brother. You're going down. Yep. And then, and then Triple H is probably like, we have 22 minutes to fill. Yes, and normally I would say that this is a example of Triple H trying to work an epic, but I don't think this one was all his fault. No, I, I think Vince was like, "Listen, you and the Hulkster are going twenty, brother," and Triple yeah. H was just like, "Jesus Christ, what?" I'll never understand like why don't bookers play to people's strengths. Like, I get it, you might want to see Triple H versus Hogan in an epic, but you have to know who Hogan is right now. Like him and Rock went. I think like 17 at Mania, and that was only helped by the fact that they could stretch it out because the crowd was so into it. You know, the crowd was into this, but wasn't on the same level, and it's like, you can't stretch this to 22. Hogan should be going like 5 to 10. Yeah, it's like, a lot of this match is, feels like Triple H paying tribute to like the Hogan-Orndorff matches, 
uh-huh. a, a lot of a lot of power stuff and you know it's just it's a match uh, and like there's actually like a weird spot where Hogan actually hits something that looks like a fucking cutter Yes, I was going to say like, Hogan what? had the balls to hit a diamond cutter or an RKO or whatever. I was like, who in the hell is Hogan? He was like, that's the one bump you get, brother. I know. It's like, and that was pretty much it. But yeah, I mean, Triple H wrestles himself for 20 some minutes. Hogan hulks up. Chris Jericho eventually takes out the referee, hits Hogan with a chair. Hunter gets all pissed off. The Undertaker fucking comes down. Yeah, and it's, it's a mess. just like a fucking bunch of <laughs> bullshit. And then Hulk Hogan drops the fucking leg. And he wins the title. Yeah. In 2002, the year of our Lord, Hulk Hogan <laughs> is the undisputed WWF champion of the universe. Yeah, like he was over, but this was a bad move. <laughs> Like, just because somebody is over, especially at Hogan's age, you don't have to make him champion. Just make him a special attraction. Like, you could have done him versus Triple H or something as, like, oh, cool. As they were billing it, like, in the beginning, the best of all time against the best right now. Like, you could have just done that. You didn't need to have the title involved. Yeah, I I don't know. But it's just, like, I watched this match. I remember, like, we decided to do this, and I looked up the card, not the results at first. And I was like... Looking through the card, I'm like, okay, there's some stuff that looks kind of shitty on here. I'm like, Angle and Edge, ooh, Tajiri and Kidman, all right. I was like, Undertaker and Austin. I'm like, I don't remember if this was one of the okay ones or a bad one. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, no. It's that match in the main event. Yep. It's it's that. Oh, like you said, it's like, how do you not book to the strings? It's like, Rock and Hogan worked because they had that crowd they were smart enough to heal up Rocky because, I mean, it's Hogan in Toronto, and a lot of people forget that Toronto was one of Hogan's best markets. Yeah. In Toronto, Hogan was what San Martino was in New York. He sold out, he always did big business, and he was over like a fucking god. So they get to Toronto, they do that mania match, and the crowd decides they want to be with Hogan. They smarten, you know. They smartly turn Todd during that match. They play to it, and you know, I mean, again, if we're being honest, man, like Rock and Hogan isn't like a classic. You turn the volume off, and it's jack shit, bullshit wrestling. It's bad, but the yeah. atmosphere of that crowd, them playing the hits, it makes it feel so important. Like you're witnessing an epic dream match, and yeah. and that's why it works because that's all it had to be, Kevin. That's all you have to do. It's like, it's not like you can't make someone try to like deliver something epic in the ring when that's not what they're there for. You know, you're not going to get a 34, like a 25 minute Okada match is not what you're going to get out of Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and you, and you generally wouldn't have even in his heyday cause that's not what he was. Yeah. If you look back at like all of Hogan's, you know, big matches, you know, I think him warrior didn't even go twenty minutes. I think he only would go twenty, but like savage. Yeah, because he was like the only dude. To, the only dudes he implicitly trusted for long matches because they knew how to play to him were Savage and Flair. Yeah, and that's because they knew what the fucking score was. They knew how to work to him, and that's also important. And again. I give Triple H all the credit in the world because my man tried to work a miracle here. 
he did. Like, this is not one of those where it's where it feels like Triple H was the problem. Yeah, this isn't Triple H and Roman at Mania going like 84 years. Yeah, it's his A forever from Triple H, but... Most certainly, because he, he tries so damn hard in this match, but it's just, <laughs> between the fact that, you know, Hogan didn't have much to offer in terms of in-ring, I mean, again, like you said, he was over, there was decent response to that title win and everything, but it wasn't work to the strings. And again, Triple H tries, and then you get that schmozzy Attitude Era-esque ending. Yeah. Which I don't think added to it at all, and it's... It's just a bad wrestling match that goes too long. And it's like, I understand it's a main event and they have to put some time in. But you're sitting there looking at Hogan in 2002 and you have to think to yourself, like, at the most, 15 has to be the cap. Yeah, for sure. And Because you can play with that first five minutes and largely do nothing. Yeah, especially in the case where, and, you know, granted, even if, you know, you say you got to put some time into it, but we're kind of more used to main events going quicker now. You saw WrestleMania. Drew McIntyre won in like two minutes. Um, and granted, that wasn't what was, you expected. You know, you're not going to have Triple H get squashed or anything, but you got to, like, you can't sit there. How did nobody say, look, 22 minutes is a bad idea? Yeah. Give some, and then that's the thing. They gave 22 minutes to this and 27 to the number one contenders match. You couldn't, not that the matches needed more time, but you could have thrown a couple more minutes on the angle, the RVD, uh, Eddie match, you know, like, the women's title could have gone a little longer. You didn't need to rush some of these matches so that you can give these matches 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you look at the card, you can easily give, not that there's so much needed, you can give the cruiserweights like one more minute to get around that 10-minute time frame. Ja- yeah. Jazz and Trish went four and a half. They they easily, they could have gone, gone another 90 seconds, two minutes. Because yep. they were having a solid match, and it might have been better with a little smidge extra time. Um. Kurt Angle and Edge, I advocate you could go another 90 seconds easy on that to take it to 15. Yeah. Even though, again, necessarily it didn't need it because it was great. RVD and Eddie, again, it's 11 and a half. You can go another 90 90 seconds, two minutes on that and trim up that and uh, trim up that main event and that Austin Taker match a bit. I mean, yeah, you can definitely add a little bit to those undercard. Again, you don't, a couple of them, you don't want to, like, you don't want to mess with Angle and Edge, really. But again, you could advocate like 90 seconds isn't going to overly change that match and probably, you know, mm-hmm. keep it just as good. But yeah, there are some choices to be made on this show and not a lot of good ones made. <laughs> so again, Absolutely. it's Backlash 2002. And again, Kevin gave out his Patreon. He'll give it out again here at the end. He is covering all of these uh, Brand Wars era, Ruthless Aggression era shows over there. So mm-hmm. make sure you check that out. But this is Backlash 2002. Kevin, at the end of the day, Overall thoughts and a rating out of 10. Uh, it's a weird show because it feels like such a mixed bag. Like you said, the Cruiserweight title match started things on a good note. This is a good way to start the show. It took a big dive with the Bradshaw match, but then went back up because we got two good pieces of business for dominant heels. Then Edge Angle was great. RVD Eddie was good. And then the show just hits like rock bottom with three just bad matches in a row that take up a long time. Like that's a good little over an hour of the show that last three matches. Yeah. Um, so it goes, I'd say like a five, five and a half out of 10, somewhere in that range. Because like I said, there are a few things that are fun to check out, but it just, the way it ends just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. In a way to me, it feels a lot like some of the recent WWE, WWE pay-per-views and <laughs> that like you get a really good opener 
And then, like, the stuff after it, like you said, not technically great wrestling match. Like, Scott Hall and Bradshaw's bad, but um, the Jazz, Trish, and Brock, Jeff Hardy stuff, not technically great wrestling matches, but they had goals behind them. Yeah, and they served their purpose. Exactly. And then, like, the middle of the card teases you thinking it's going to turn around. Mm-hmm. And you get Angle and Edge, and you get Eddie and RVD, which are great and really good overall. So that and the Cruiserweight title match, they're like your, that's like your big bank stuff on this show that like make it really worth it. And then it, again, like some of these recent company pay-per-views, they kind of hit a wall at the end for some reason. And it's yep. because of, again, it comes down to booking and layout and poor choices. And Undertaker and A or Undertaker and Austin going really long with the schmozzy finish, not good at all. Billy and Chuck and Al Snow and Maven was just a match with no build. They tried, it just wasn't a good wrestling match. And then Hogan and Triple H, it's just again you can't look at Hogan in two thousand two and go <laughs> twenty two minutes is gonna work. I, I can't yeah, believe Ho- I can't believe Vince went up to him. He said, "You're winning the title tonight, brother." And Hogan was like, "All right, sounds good, Jack." And he's like, "You and Triple H are going 22." And he was, and I can't believe he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Yeah, I would expect Hogan to be like, "Look, man, I don't work that long. What are you talking about?" I know. It's like, am I am I getting a bonus? <laughs> Probably. Uh, the other thing, just uh, you know, on the show itself, and again, this kind of reminds me of current shows. There was a lot of like lame finishes you know you had eddie using the title you had the the screwy finish of austin undertaker you had the all the interference at the end of the main event you even had you know tajiri use the mist and billy and chunk like uh billy and chuck uh rico try to get involved so it's like you know x-pot i mean hall one with a handful of tights so i think the only matches that like had a clean finish were the brock and the edge angle yeah, it's really weird. It, so again, like I said, it's there is some good on this show. Please don't get us wrong. This is not an uncensored pay-per-view we're talking about here. Oh, absolutely not. Um, oh. Again, recommended if you're looking to check out this pay-per-view and you only want to cherry pick, you definitely want to watch Tajiri and Kidman. I would de- uh, watch Brock and Jeff Hardy because it's a fascinating um, domination by Brock and a good piece of business, as Kevin said. Angle and Edge is a legit great match. And Eddie and RVD is right around the same quality as the Cruiserweight match. It's a good to really good match. That's like where your money is on this pay-per-view. That's yeah. that's the good stuff. That's the enjoyable stuff. That's the stuff that really felt like it mattered. And if you're a masochist, watch Austin and Undertaker and Hogan and Triple H, but don't blame me for it. Uh, yeah, I think you're about right. It's at five to five and a half range because there's, there is some good, there is a great, but there's also a lot of bad. And it's like, it's not even one of those cards where there's a lot of okay. It's like mm-hmm. genuinely some real, like, Hall and Bradshaw is really bad. Um, Billy and Chuck and Rico and uh, Billy and Chuck and uh, Snow and Maven is bad. Undertaker and Austin is bad. Hogan and Triple <laughs> H is bad. So, like, I'm thinking, like, a five at most, and, um, hang on, bring it up here, I have it tabbed, uh, the cage match ranking for this is kind of in the middle, but it's a five-two, so, the cage match viewers did not enjoy this one either. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on the recommended match thing, it's probably Edge, uh, like, the Edge match, the three that we said, the it Intercontinental is. title, exactly. the Edge, All and the Cruiserweight. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the cruiserweight is recommended at three and a half from the Observer. I think uh, RBD and um, 
The other one is like three and a fourth, and the uh, edge and angle one is, I believe, recommended four and uh, two, four and two five, which oh, is uh, pretty much the same thing we said. So yeah, yeah, I mean, those are the those are the ones you want to check out. Again, it's um, it's rough going at the beginning here of the brand split. Yeah, it, it things don't really start picking up from what I remember until like Stephanie becomes GM of SmackDown and you start getting the SmackDown six doing things. So like right around the summer. So I got a rough couple months coming up, but it's been fun so far, even if it's not, you know, great shows. Yeah. And again, it's an interested and uncovered time by a lot of people, Kev, because everybody loves digging into that Monday night war era, 800 Mm -hmm. times. So yeah. Um, again, yeah, Kevin is covering all of this over on his Patreon. Kev shout it out one more time. So anybody can uh, throw some support your way. Absolutely. That's uh, patreon.com slash the Kevsta. That's T A G underscore K E V S T A A A. And you can find all the updates on it on my Twitter, which is the same at the Kevsta. So, yeah, give, give Kev a follow. I always appreciate having him on. Even though, Kevin, we're supposed to be mortal enemies, as we joked about before we recorded. <laughs> Kevin yeah, and I because... were having a, a lovely conversation about how if you review something and like it, and then somebody else comes at you and they don't like it, you're supposed to have, like, this war. And then, like, yeah. I, if I don't like something, all of a sudden I become the worst person in the world if you enjoyed it. And the bottom line is... It doesn't really matter what I think. I'm just doing a job. If I hated something and you loved it, that is all that matters that you liked it. Have fun with wrestling because that's why we all do it. And I told Kevin, I said, there's someone somewhere that must be dumbfounded that Kevin and I are friends and talk and podcast and get along because Kevin is not a big Will Ospreay fan and I love Will Ospreay. But, but, But magically, Kevin, we get along. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and you know i had this with friends in the past too when uh you know the young bucks like i don't mind them as you know now but i used to really strongly dislike them and i had friends who loved them and it was like how can you guys get along and talk wrestling when you have such different opinions and it's like that's the fun of wrestling you know yeah, wrestling, we don't have to like the, there's something for everyone in wrestling exactly wrestling is like the weirdest fucking thing on the planet for so many it reasons is. i mean not just business wise and what goes on around it but like it's like the weirdest shit because, again, there are things that I love and other people hate, and there are things that I hate and other people love. And that's part of the charm of professional wrestling. It's, you know, people get upset when some um, some wrestlers call it, like, um, performance art. And it is. It, it's a mixture of performance art, soap opera, stunt show, and athleticism and all this shit. But different mm-hmm. things are going to always appear, appeal to different people, and that's the kind of greatest thing about wrestling because it's not pigeonholed into one thing. Yeah. And it's also a case of that, you know, because I like so many different things, I like such a vast, you know, array of stuff in wrestling. Only wrestling can make me as emotional as it did when Kofi Kingston won the WWE title and be as silly and fun as the Boneyard match was at WrestleMania. Like there's so many different, you know, I've had, you know, you can get there and cry about something that you that you take seriously, and then you can laugh about something that's not to be taken too seriously because it's at the end of the day, it's it's just wrestling, like it's fun, you know. Exactly, and that's why I say it's, it's always been the best thing, and that's why I've always, you know, I've talked about it several times. That's why I've always kind of evolved my personal fandom, even before I was covering so much stuff into mm-hmm. watching different things because. 
you know, it was like I was a big NWA fan, and obviously you go through the Monday Night Wars era, and then ECW and WCW are gone. Yeah. Which is why I got into TNA at the beginning, and I'm still very happy I did for as much as a lot of that was bad at the beginning, and there was a lot of bad times throughout it. I found, you know, I, I got into Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles and Low Key and all these guys, which made me start checking out Ring of Honor and PWG and yeah. other places, and it's just... You know, it, it fucking snowballed from there. And that's just like the coolest thing about wrestling is if you don't like one thing, there's something else out there that you're probably going to love. And Absolutely. Like, I know that one thing people always talk about that they miss, and it's something that Kevin and I loved, and I believe we're going to do a retro review soon on some of it. That's why people loved Lucha Underground. Yep. Because it had a bunch of awesome talent. It was different. They didn't try to be raw. They didn't try to be impact. They didn't try to be ROH. And there was just, I remember just a group of people that every Wednesday night when I was done reviewing it were, it was like the same group of people like, Jesus Christ, I had so much fun tonight. Absolutely. And that's just the coolest thing, man. It's like, I love when people react that way to wrestling. And I, again, yeah. Kevin and I, we, we talked before the show and it's just, um, we always like to say, like, if something's pissing you off in wrestling, unless you're like us and do it for, like, a living, you don't have to watch it, man. If Raw's pissing you off, don't watch Raw. If New Japan's pissing you off, don't watch New Japan. Check out All Japan, baby. If yeah. AEW's pissing you off, don't watch AEW. I, mean, I said, you know, when ROH got to the point where I didn't want to, you know, I was not enjoying it, I was like, well, I'm done watching ROH, and that's I'm much happier for it. Rather than spending time complaining nonstop about what I didn't like on this show. I'm just not going to spend, you know, you got to try to be positive in your life. Why be so negative all the time? Exactly. So it's just, a, it's just kind of like, I guess a fan service message guys. It's just, yeah, you don't have to watch everything. If something is legit pissing you off, drop it, find something else. There's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of different streaming services. One thing I will throw out is ROH is actually doing a really nice job with their YouTube channel right now. They're throwing out a ton of classic matches. They're bundling a bunch of classic matches into like one video of three matches, like Kevin Steen collections and stuff like that. So like if you're just if you're kind of frustrated with the empty arena stuff or it's not doing it for you, check out some of that because they're throwing up a lot of free content. The Honor Club is adding more stuff. Impact Plus has a ton of stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there for you. Rev Pro, fucking Progress. Again, like I said, All Japan, New Japan. New Japan's done a good job of throwing up a lot of like older stuff too as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on right now. So again, if the empty arena stuff just isn't doing it for you, look around, man. Have some fun. Maybe find something new. You never know what you like. Yeah, as long as you're a wrestling... This is the best time to be a wrestling fan because there's so much available. It's just like, especially in the time like now when we all have to stay home and can just you know, uh, stream things, just, you know, stream some great stuff. That's right. So it's, um, yeah, again, I'm just, I'm just advocating checking out stuff to make yourself happy as a fan. Cause that's all that really matters is that you're having a good time with pro wrestling. And I, I just, even a show like this, this show is far from good, but there is some very enjoyable stuff on it. So I will at least take away the fact that I got to watch edge and, um, Kurt angle again, which I hadn't seen in years. I got to watch a really cool Eddie Guerrero match, and I love going back and watching Eddie. Of course. So, I mean, it's stuff like that to take away, and just a good time, Kev. So I thank you again for your time, as always. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. Look forward to doing it again soon. 
We will. So that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of the 411, 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Excuse me there. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Stay safe, everybody.